Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Kiermaier down on strikes. Check swing. Did he go? Yes, he did. A little hesitation by Sonny Gray leaving that leg hanging for just a moment. And now the runners move up. And a base hit likely ties the game. Oh, do they have picked got off? Him. Oh, they got him. Oh, what a mistake by Vlad Guerrero. He's signaling to the dugout. He thinks he got in. Oh, did they bail out Sonny Gray? Wow. Just wow. What a play defensively by Gray and Correa. That's what it sounded like last night on ESPN as my guy, Sonny Gray, goes out there and in the middle of October, shoves it up the mouths of everybody that thinks that this guy can't <laughs> well, perform. Okay. All right. Whatever the lights are the bright. No. You know what? No. no. When the brights are the lightest. Pause, pause, pause. First of all, shove it up their mouth. Never heard that phrase before. Well, I can't second, say what I really wanted second, to say. Second, you could have said up their butts. That would have been fine. That's that's child approved. Kids say it all the time. I say it all the time. First or second of all, Middle of October? Yeah, I'm losing my voice. Middle of October? It's October 5th. I, dude, stretch it a little wild bit. card game. Like, come on, the guy can't pitch in the playoffs, okay? <laughs> wild card don't count. Technically, it's just game 164 of the regular season. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, he's right. And he beat us a, a mediocre, inferior team. Like, what are we acting like? Come They're on. so dumb they can't run the bases You properly. know what? Shove it up your mouth. <laughs> Well played, sir. Sonny Gray yesterday, five innings, five hits, six strikeouts, two walks allowed. Uh, Did not give up a run against that vaunted Toronto Blue Jays offense. Guys, I want to open up by talking about Sonny Gray and Aaron Nola and how yesterday was honestly the perfect example of the difference between the two. They're both really good pitchers, man. And if you signed either of them this offseason, you'd feel pretty good about adding that specific starter. That's not the end of your to-do list, but it's a good starting point for what the Cardinals need to do during the offseason. But yesterday, the way that they went about it against the respective opponents, I think spoke to who they are as starters. Aaron Nola went seven innings. He gave up three hits. He walked just one and struck out three. Those seven innings were all scoreless. And ultimately, that's what matters, right? He got through seven innings, so he's getting you deep into the ball game. But he has three strikeouts over the course of the game. Didn't have a ton of swing and miss in that one, but looked really good. Was obviously incredibly effective against the Marlins lineup. Sonny Gray, meanwhile, doesn't go as deep into the game. Gives you just five, but only through 85 pitches. It wasn't like he was worked extremely hard in that one. 
struck out six in those five innings. So his swing and miss stuff was there. That slider, if you watched yesterday, man, that thing is a menace to go up against as an opposing hitter. I think that spoke to who these two pitchers are. One of them, more swing and miss, doesn't get quite as deep into ball games, but when he's out there, he's going to be really good for you. The other one, man, he is a horse. He is a, like, he's Adam Wainwright, basically, for the Cardinals. What prime Waino was in, like, the 2013 to 16 type of a range, that's who you would hope Aaron Nola can be for you over the next five years if you end up signing him. Of the two starters that we saw yesterday that could be on the Cardinals offseason wish list, Alex, who stood out to you more? Toronto. Or, not Toronto. Sonny Gray because he faced Toronto. I, I, and we talked about this in the office, and Tanner brought it up also. Nola was great in terms of he fixed his issues from the middle of the season that made me concerned. But Nola also went up against the Miami Marlins. And, like, yeah, Miami's been an okay team, but it's not to the level of what the Toronto Blue Jays' offense is. Like, Toronto's got a tough lineup to crack. And what Sonny Gray not only limiting them to the amount of innings he pitched, but also picking up the six strikeouts. That was the impressive part for me. And watching Sonny Gray, as much as I love the idea of Nola, he's still on that island with two other guys that Blake Snell and Yamamoto, I'd look at and say, you get any of those three, that's a win. Sonny Gray, after that performance, I'd say, that's the guy that I want the Cardinals to target because that's a really good number two to have in your lineup. Yeah, I not taking anything away from Nola, but going up against Miami, I expect that kind of result from Aaron Nola. We'll see what he looks like against the Braves, and I know that's a tougher team to judge against because that offense is so good, but can he go five or six solid innings? I thought Gray was impressive. I mean, he had the swing and miss stuff against a lineup that on paper is pretty good for the Toronto Blue Jays. I know they didn't show up in that series at all, but I I thought his stuff looked better than Aaron Nola's did. That sweeper that he throws, he's got the good fastball command that he had yesterday, and I thought it was encouraging. I know he walked three, which some people won't like in a playoff game, He had traffic on base all game long, and he was continuing to find a way to get out of that mess that he created himself. So I I was more impressed with Sonny Gray, and I think he's the kind of guy that I would say to Alex's point, I would love to have him as the number two. To me, he solidified himself as a clear target for the Cardinals this offseason. I just The way I look at this is you could get Nola, Snell, or Yamamoto, and I think either of those three are going to be good at the top of your rotation. Sonny Gray is the best available pitcher in the free agent market that you're going to get to slot in as that number two. I think the conversation the Cardinals are going to be having this offseason is really about Sonny Gray versus the trade options that you're going to have available to you. I like You could end up going out there and looking at a Dylan Cease or one of the pitchers from the Blue Jays even, one of the pitchers from the Padres, one of the pitchers from the Marlins, the Mariners. Like All these teams look ripe for the picking when it comes to trading offense for pitching. They're all seemingly going to have somebody that ends up getting dealt. And so the question will come down to, okay, what are you willing to offer? Do you rather, would you rather, if you're John Mosellock and really Bill DeWitt, give up the talent that you would have to give up for the, the pitching that's available or the money and the draft pick? Because if you go out there and acquire Sonny Gray, you're going to have to give up 20 plus a year, probably. I think it'll be like a three-year, 65-ish million dollar contract. Something he, in that If range. he pitches well in the postseason, it might be a little bit more. Sure, maybe it's three years and 70. Something, but he's going to be 34 years old. I don't think he's going to get a long-term deal. And I do think it's going to be a little higher on the AAV than what some would like it to be. But he's probably worth it, man. It's probably going to be worth that. And look around Major League Baseball. Every team needs somebody like a Sonny Gray. So when you go into the offseason, what do you feel more comfortable with? For me, I think I feel more comfortable with the money. I would rather give out that money. And then the other thing, the other piece of this that I would throw into it, we'll talk about this a little bit more later on. If one of these like legit number ones becomes available via trade, 
I would go trade for my number one, sign Sonny Gray as my number two, and now we're cooking with gas and we can talk about who that number five starter you want is. Let's all say it. Logan Gilbert. Logan Gilbert. But Seattle could still win 54% of their games if they trade away hey man, Gilbert. At this point, after hearing what Jerry DePoto had to say, I'm not saying anything's off I mean, the... Oh, they're, going for, they're going for 54%, maybe 50%. You can win without Logan Gilbert. I'm with you on that. I like Sonny Gray a lot. And after seeing him yesterday in that kind of a stage, dude, by the way, that crowd in Minnesota was rocking. That was an awesome environment. It was like the antithesis of what was taking place in Tampa Bay. Uh, you didn't have where a I out think of the it was a funeral. Like I, I, did well, you see what a fa- the, I think a player said? It was the, like being at church. The broadcaster sat on it. There were 19,000 group people here. I don't think we can call it a, a crowd. crowd. It's more of a group of people. 19,000. They were all watching from home and they just bought tickets. Dude, that was brutal. But yeah, so back to the pitching conversation. I would rather, I think, if you had it, blind taste test, who would you rather have, Sonny Gray or Aaron Nola, knowing everything that we know, I know this sounds weird because there's a lot of people that would say, hey, stupid that you're not taking the guy that's going to pitch 200 innings every year. I think I'd rather have Sonny Gray, man. I do. And to that point, though, not taking the 200 inning guy, you got a 200 inning guy already. And the question is, do you need two of those? Because Michaelis has thrown 200 innings the last two years. He's done it three times in his career when he's been healthy. Yeah, but they're different 200 innings pitchers. That, that's fair. Like Michaelis might I, be a 4-5 or five ERA. You know Nola, even though he did struggle this year. Typically he's going to Okay, shut it. Okay, shove just, it up your mouth. I, I think it's pretty similar. I think I, we're being a little unfair to Miles Michaelis when we say they're totally different. Yeah, I think they're more similar than we want to give him credit for. I think for. there's a good right. chance that Nola ages into Miles Michaelis, if that makes sense. That's actually a really good point. Um, I, because I, though his stuff does appear to be better now, Three years from now, two years from now, I think you could be looking at like Miles Michaelis 2.0, except he's on like a five year deal rather than a two or three year deal that Michaelis is on. And the other point, too, that I was going to make on the Sunny Gray conversation is is that a guy that you're willing to give up a draft pick for? Because he's probably going to get QO'd. If he's not QO'd, it'd be dumb by the Minnesota Twins. So I'll be curious to know if I would, yes, to answer your question. I would. I, I, I would too, but I'm curious to know if the Cardinals would say, well, if it's only a three-year deal, is it worth giving up a draft pick compared to if it's Aaron Nola, who's going to be on a five-, six-year deal, and though he may cost a little bit more money, you've got longer term and you lose that high draft pick. They may not even want to give up a draft pick overall on any of these deals. Alex, can, I give, them you, picks. can I give you the comparison of Aaron Nola and Miles Michaelis over their last five full seasons? Sure, buddy. I'd love to hear it. Aaron Nola last five seasons, 142 games started. Miles Michaelis, 140 games started. Aaron Nola innings, 853. Miles Michaelis, 833. Aaron Nola, ERA plus 107. Miles Michaelis, ERA plus 108. Aaron Nola, ERA, if you don't want to get analytic with it. 3.97. Miles Michaelis, ERA, 3.78. We sure you're not signing Miles Michaelis 2.0? Small sample size. Small sample size. Give me their entire careers. Who's better? 148 Small sample size. I want the entire career. 850 innings. He's Miles Michaelis 2.0. And there's nothing wrong with being that. Miles Michaelis is a good starting pitcher. But if you just want the innings, you've got it. Now I need the effectiveness. Now I need a guy that can go out there in a game two of a series the way that Miles Michaelis hasn't really previously, the way that we are seeing Sonny Gray can and can go up against the opposition. And yes, it was five innings, but he can shut them down for five innings. That's what Sonny Gray is, man. He's for me at this point in time, my number one target going into the offseason for the Cardinals. He would be atop my wish list. By the way, he's from Nashville. 
You've got a inherent. We, we hate Nashville advantage. and St. Louis. I know, but a Midwest guy, kind of, a little bit. We'll claim it. We're going to claim mean, Nashville. I would All assume right, he in. likes country music, and Wayno just sang country music yeah. at Bush Stadium. We should get him on the phone with Stephen Matz. All right, man, you're making Stephen weird Matz comps is also right from now. Nashville. Why do you know so much about where these guys are from? It's creeping me out a little bit. <laughs> it helps for the Cardinals, man. We know these guys from the Stephen coast Matz, don't exactly want to come to St. Louis. His address is this in Nashville. Like, Stephen Matz. We know that Adam Wainwright does some stuff out in Nashville with the country music singing. And now you go out there, you acquire ipso facto. Bob's your uncle. And the one thing I do go know is there are no other anything. athletes from Nashville in baseball on other teams. Exactly. So you get it. It's true. Coming up next, Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale views things a little differently. Just imagine how he looks at hockey. This is The View from Vitale, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi Electric Elite contractor. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues back in action tonight against the Dallas Stars. Pre-game with Alex and Joe starts at 6 o'clock right here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Battle of the Stars. The Blues won the Battle of the Blues, and so now it's the Battle of the Stars. Like dancing with the Stars. Sure, I'm here for it. Right now we're going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and Bally Sports Midwest. Joe, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. How you doing today? Joey! 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 Ah, you're so awesome. What's up? What's up, guys? Hey, doing doing really good. Down here at the Enterprise Center, there's a media luncheon. I'm kind of overlooking it now. I think I see some barbecue pork down there. So right when I get off with you guys, I'm going to, I'm going to slam a couple of those down. Hey, Joey, I've got a question for you. I I gotta, I gotta do this because we talked about it on the air the other day. You didn't run a half marathon on Sunday. Did you? I did not run a half marathon on Sunday. I don't think I did. What day is it? No, I don't think I did. Why? Now tell them why, BK. Okay, so uh, I I had a little bit of an issue on Sunday morning. Uh, I ran a half marathon in the uh, the Mo Cowbell out in St. Charles, and there was a guy in front of me, and he looked kind of like one Joey Vitale. And I was like, man, I, I think that might be Joe. But you know how it's kind of awkward, and you're like, I, I don't know if that's Joe. It might be Joe. Maybe it's Joe. I'm not sure. So I did. I decided not to, like, say anything. Uh, and I, I ran a little too fast because I was trying to keep up with a former pro athlete that apparently was not a former pro athlete. Uh, ended up uh, resulting in cramps for your guy. So um, it's good to know that you weren't the, the individual that I was stalking for about 25 minutes on my run on Sunday. So I, I guess I have to ask the question then, sure. BK. What about uh, his backside? Sure, yeah, no. Gave it away that you thought it was me. That's what I said. He said so it, he it was said mostly it was, the hair, honestly. He said the, it was the luscious. The hair looked like it was yours. Um, it, it, it was looking great, by the way. And I, he had a cross tattoo on his side. And I, I didn't know if you had a tattoo or not, but I felt like it was at least in play. And if you did, I would assume it would have been a cross. He said luscious so, backside, too, Joe. Yep, yep, yep. That, that, that's what gave it away for me. No, again, no tattoos on me. But, I knew it. Uh, I, I'm sure you didn't mind. Uh, what, what do they call it in running? Is it drafting? You were drafting behind exactly. this, this, this big moose, apparently, with a <laughs> big lower half. I'm sure he uh, he didn't love the fact that some weird guy was drafting behind him the whole way. I that's, called him Joe. Joe, that's, what, <laughs> Joe, that's what uh, What's-His-Face did in the office. Stu, he, ran, he drafted behind Kevin so his nipples didn't bleed. <laughs> 
Oh, man, I tell you what, I, what, I do run every Friday with the group, and, and every now and then we'll, we'll do like a like a four or five mile one, and, and you know, it's a social thing, right? So, I, like, we're, we're talking the whole run, uh, you know, so it's not just a, uh, it's not a competitive run. It's a, it's, we're there to talk, and we get exercise at the same time. But every now and then we'll do like these, you know, like four or five miles, and, and we run together the whole way. Now, the guys I run with could literally blow me out of the water. Like, it's not even close. These guys are fit athletes, and I'm just, like, kind of hanging on for dear life. So we'll run, and they, and they graciously stick, stick back with me the whole time. But then as soon as we make, like, that final turn around, like, the neighborhood, and there's, like, the coffee house we're going to end up in, I just go on an all-out sprint, and I just brag about my victory the entire breakfast. It's, it's absolutely classic, and uh, certainly some good banter along the way. But that's about as far as I'll ever run, BK. I, I, I'm not a big happy. I, I definitely wouldn't do a full and those triathletes, those people are just completely nuts. Yeah, no, I'm with Amen you. Um, I thought you were doing it, and uh, as a result of that, I tried to keep up with the guy that was a former pro athlete, and it ended poorly for me. And then he All was right, winded. Joe, let's talk a little bit about these Blues going into tonight's game. It looks like we're mostly going to see the uh, the Blues lineup that we'll expect on opening night. I did want to ask you about the defensive pairings. Looks like it's going to be Letty with Pareko. Do you think that's going to be what we start out with again this season? I think so, uh, BK. I think that this is, I mean, this is what, what you know, Chris Kerber and I on our brief post game uh, the other day, we kind of were, uh, we kind of hypothesized, I guess is the right way to say it, what the opening night roster would look like based off the lines we saw in Columbus. And we, we were pretty spot on. I mean, you watch enough preseason games and you've been a part of enough preseasons, you kind of know how the coaches are, are their inner workings and what these lines mean. And, and there's definitely a lot of hidden messages behind a lot of stuff. Uh, so Jake Neighbors, you know, being on that fourth line with with Torpchenko and, and Sunquist tonight, to me, uh, I think that that is what they're hoping for come next week. You know, I think they want to make it work uh, desperately with Jake Neighbors to stay up here and be a part of this. So we're going to give him another look here tonight. You know, you look at uh, the players on the outside, whether it be McEachern, Walker, Torpchenko, for example, you know, all these players have to clear waivers. Now, this is where it becomes interesting is that Jake Neighbors is the only forward, really, that does not have to clear waivers that's really competing for that spot. So as much as they want to make it work, it could be something where Doug Armstrong has to send him down uh, from simply a numbers game. A lot just depends on the waiver wire uh, currently and what it's going to be like in the next three, three to four days. You bring up uh, Nicoletti, and you also bring up Colton Pareko. I, I do think that that is going to be the pair they, they want to go with. I think that uh, unlike last year, they want to give Colton a steady, just defending partner. I think at times he was with Krug, at times he was with Falk. You know, th- those type of players, they like to get up in the rush, they like to join. And I think at times Colton Pareko was uh, hung out the dry, and I don't know if it uh, was the best for him. So you look at when Colton was the most successful here in St. Louis, it was with another stay-home defenseman in Jay Bowmeister. So I do think that they really do like that pairing of having two steady, uh, just defending guys up top. And then you throw Falk with Tory Crew. Both guys can play on the offense, but certainly a Justin Falk, to me, maybe the most consistent defenseman all last year. So you put him with Tory Krug, and then we'll see what happens on that bottom pair. I think, to me, Marco Scandella is probably going to be a lock to start the season. And it really just comes down to, you know, Tucker, Bortuzzo, Callie Rosen, uh, along those ways as, as far as who can get in there and certainly compete for that last spot. But a great opportunity again here for Tyler Tucker to continue to improve throughout his camp, which I think he's been great, and to showcase himself and show this coaching staff that uh, that bottom pair right side uh, is, is his for, for the losing. Joe, have you seen or heard from any of the coaches the changes in scheme on the defensive side with Mike Weber? 
You know, the only thing I will say, Alex, that we've talked to Craig Berube about, uh, it's more of a team thing, is that everything's just very tight. They're keeping everything uh, defending from the middle on out this year. Uh, it's a different style. If you look at the game tonight, it's hard to watch. I know it's preseason. Uh, but, you know, maybe come Saturday, if it's some of the fans are in the building, they'll see it. When we're in our defensive zone and the other team has puck possession, full puck possession, you watch our defensive zone. I mean, there is five guys. I mean, it is like a, almost like a dice, like the, the five on a die, like four on the outside, one right in the middle, almost like they're killing a six on five. It's a very tight defensive zone coverage. They're not running to the boards. They're not running to the corners. They're not running um, recklessly out to the points as, as much as they were last year. And the idea behind it is that they need to limit the grade A chances against. And that was what the biggest problem was last year where they were too spread out and things were opening up in the middle of the ice. And this, this year they're going to be defending inside out. They're going to be more, more cautious, more poised in the middle and take their chances, of course, on bobble pucks, but not, not go reckless like they, they were at times last year. And I think this is a really good beginning point. It's a good starting point for this group. It's a way to get some confidence, a way to limit the grade A chances. Uh, the only downside I think to the system is that you have to be willing to block shots. I mean, teams are going to see that this is the system they're running. They're going to use the outside. They're going to use their points a ton. And those point shots with a lot of bodies in front, that's where it can create a lot of chaos. So it's just going to be very important that the Blues are committed to, to boxing out, not only that, but also blocking shots from the point. Joey Vitale is our guest for just another minute here on 101 ESPN. Joey, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, I've really liked what we've seen so far from the Verona, Hayes, and Blay line. I want to ask you specifically about Jakub Vrana, who was really good to finish out the year goal scoring wise for the Blues last year. He's been very productive for them thus far in the uh, preseason. What do you think are realistic expectations for Vrana going into 2023? You know, I think that, can, you know, can he score 20 goals? Maybe. I mean, he's certainly got a great shot. I think, I think that if you get 15 goals out of Jakub Vrana um, before the deadline, uh, either is it something that you sign him to an extension, or is he a really good, uh, a really good suitor for for a possible trade? I think that he's got in the tank for that. Uh, we've seen him preseason already. We saw a little bit last year. He's got a lethal shot. I mean, it comes off so snappy. He, was, he uses a very whippy stick. He doesn't need a lot of space to get it off. Uh, he's just got a great one timer. You know, a lot's going to depend on two BK is where they have him on these power play units. I don't think he cracks the top unit, but I do see him on that bottom unit, uh, that second unit there on that right dot where he can let that one-timer go. So if you have enough, enough good chemistry on that second unit and you can move that puck around, you know, one thing the Blues have not had in the last couple seasons has been a lethal one-timer. You know, I'm talking like a Patrick Line type of right, right-handed shot. Um, you know, those type of players are, are very valuable on the power play. So if you can get him going, and, and really set him up on the power play. I think 15 is a great expectation. I think 20 would be even better. Uh, I think he's got the shot, and certainly right now with Kevin Hayes' puck possession in the offensive zone, big body, he can help, he can help facilitate that, that number along. Joey, enjoy that pulled pork, my friend. We'll mm. talk with you again next week. Sounds good, boys. Have a great day. You See you, Joe. It. It's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time joining us here on BK and Ferrario. He's going to join us throughout the Blues season. Once again, this year, every single Thursday is when Joey will be on the show. We're expecting it to be around this 11-15, 11-30 mark. So mark your calendars if you want to tune in for Joey Vitale. 11-15 or 11-30 is when he will be joining us here on the show. Yeah, uh, I somebody texted in after Joe's answer then and said, uh, I think, honestly, he could be closer to 30. That's where you and I fall on this, yep. and I'm sure Joe is being a little tentative with it to be safe on the end because you really don't know what Verona is going to be. But the shot that he has with the 
playmaking ability. And Jr. told us this a couple of days ago uh, when he was acquired. He said he likes to play with the shoot first type of winger. I I do believe a a pairing of Hayes and Verana is going to be one of the more productive pairings on this Blues offense. Yeah, the other thing about it, he mentioned by the trade deadline, you'll probably have a pretty good idea of what your plan is. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's going to be really important for the Blues. I I don't know that anybody is playing more for their future this year than Yaku Verana on the current Blues roster because he could be a long-term member of your team. He could be a guy that you flip for assets at the trade deadline. He could be a guy that's just playing out the string here in St. Louis as a mercenary in 2023, and he's so damn good that he doesn't accept whatever it is that the Blues have to offer because he wants to hit the market at, what, the age of 28 years old this offseason and potentially get a five-year deal similar to what Brandon Saad got. Like That is very much in the cards for him. I, I view goal scorers like him, similar to home run hitters in Major League Baseball, Alex, where you just can't have enough of them. At a certain point, like you would love to have one of those guys on every single line in the in your top nine. Verona has the potential to be that. I, I'm with you. I think it's closer to 30 is what my expectation is for him going into this season. Is that high? Yeah, it is. But he's proven in the past that he can be that guy for you. And if he hits that, given where the cap is expected to go after the season— I think there's a very real chance that Jakub Vrana is a part of the Blues' long-term plans here in St. Louis. Yeah, I, I, it really comes down to how he looks as a player and does he take a step forward that plays that 200-foot style of hockey because if he's just the goal scorer, the Blues will look at that and say, yeah, that's great, but do we want to pay another 5 $6 million for that? We've got to have guys who are a little bit because, in all honesty, Jakub Vrana is going to be signing to be a second-line player for you because you've got Kairou Thomas and you would imagine Buchnevich. So there's going to be more to his game, and we'll find that out this season if there is. Coming up in about 15 minutes, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you guys would like to get any questions in there, you can do so for questions and answers but coming up next we're diving into some nfl quick hitters including at least one former pro bowler that might be returning to his nfl team sooner rather than later we'll tell you who that is what it means for him next year on 101 espn i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened up so many more doors the show is called the The deal Deal. listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, and let's start with some big news that's taking place in the league this week. Alex, the it Chargers sounds like fired Jonathan Staley? Taylor no? okay. could be making his way back to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, if you missed it during the offseason, Taylor is the running back that decided, you know what, I don't want to play for that team. I want a new contract, and I want to be traded because you're not willing to give me that contract. 
Colts said, ha, huh, that's funny. We don't believe in paying running backs, and neither <laughs> does the rest of the league. So go ahead. Try to find yourself a suitor. Tried. Wasn't really one out there for him that was willing to give up the assets that the Colts were looking for, and therefore he decided, ah, I'm going to go ahead and stay here. But I'm going to be hurt for the next six weeks at least. So he's been out since the beginning of the season on the PUP list. Alex, he is now eligible to return from the injured list. And it sounds like we could see him sooner rather than later. I'd be a little surprised if we see him against Tennessee this weekend, but maybe by next week against Jacksonville, he's a guy that gets back into the lineup. If that ends up being the case, we're talking about one of the best running backs in the league with Jonathan Taylor potentially being inserted into the mix. And this is a Colts team that is better than any of us expected them to be. Can the Colts be a legitimate contender in the AFC South with the return of Jonathan Taylor in your mind? I mean, yeah, absolutely, because I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite right now. It feels like right now in the AFC South, the Houston Texans are the best team, which seems odd to be saying. But, yeah, you put Jonathan Taylor back into the lineup, they absolutely could be that dominant force. Here's my thought with this, though. This screams Jonathan Taylor coming back in one game and saying, ah, my leg hurts, I can't play anymore, and I'm going to sit on the bench the rest of the game. Like, he seems like he is playing yo-yo, or he's playing with that cat toy where you just kind of hold it above their head and they keep jumping and swatting at it. That's what he seems like he's doing. You use cat toys on your baby boy? Basically, it's a monkey. It's a blue monkey, and it just... You know, your kid told me when we saw him at the uh, Blues or Bruises, he's really bored all the time with you guys. Maybe you should try and do something (laughs) a little bit more exciting with him. Fair enough. But that's what this feels like. It feels like Jonathan Taylor's just going to toy with the Colts until they trade him. He's going to play really well one game, and then be like, ah, my leg hurts, I can't play next week. And he's just going to keep going in and out until they get frustrated. See, I I don't think he's going to do that because you don't get paid by doing that. Um, So I say he has a big return. I think they are going to become legitimate contenders. I think they're going to be pushing the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I ultimately still believe that Jackson will be the team that wins that division. But can Indianapolis maybe sneak their way into the wild card picture? I don't know. They might be able to if Jonathan Taylor is healthy and plays like he needs to. And if he wants to get paid or he wants to get traded out of Indianapolis, he's going to have to ball on his return. So I, I think they are contenders for the South because the South is kind of weak. Jacksonville doesn't look as good as I thought they were going to. Now, maybe that changes as they start to get all the kinks worked out of their offense. But I think they can be contenders in the South. I think so, too, man. I think Anthony Richardson is just flat out better than anybody expected, including myself. I thought he was going to be pretty good in the league, but I thought it would be more fantasy relevant than NFL starting quarterback relevant. Um, He's just been awesome like dynamic making all of the plays this past week was more of what i expected where he's got the low completion percentage but the high yards per target he's been really good man and if they continue to do that in this defense is better than a lot of us expected it to be i could see them ending up as the leader in the clubhouse to win the afc south that entire division has just been so underwhelming so far this year they are also all two and two on the season every single team in the afc south is two and two So I wanted to ask you, Alex, who is the team that you are most believing in as a legitimate contender among the current 500 clubs? There are a lot of them. The entire AFC South is at 500 right now. The Steelers and the Browns are at 500. The Chargers are the other AFC team that is currently two and two. And then over the NFC, there are five of them. Washington, who we'll see tonight against Chicago, the Packers, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Rams. Out of those teams... Who is the one that you are most believing in as a contender in 2023? God, I I don't feel like I believe in any of them, but if I have to pick one, it'll probably be the Saints. I think the Saints have the 
more dominant defense than a majority of those sure. teams. And now that they've got Kamara back, when they get Derek Carr back, you already know they've got the weapons in terms of Olave and Michael Thomas seems better than what he's been in the past. Uh, that would be the team that I would say, if I'm going to back one of these 500 teams to be legit, it's going to be them because I don't believe in the Buccaneers. I know I just said the culture contender, but I think I would still throw Jacksonville here. I said I still think they're going to win the AFC South. They feel like a team that's going to do what they did last year, where they kind of puddle along through the regular season, and then they get hot in the end, win their division, and they carry that momentum into the playoffs. I I think Jacksonville is the team I would circle. If I'm going to circle an NFC team, I'm going to sound like a homer here. I might circle the Rams as that team in the NFC. I don't trust the Falcons. I don't trust the Saints. I don't really trust the Rams' defense, but it's played better than I expected, and they are young, and they're only going to get better from here, and the offense looks really good, and they're about to get Cooper cut back. So if I had to pick an NFC team that I think could like sneak their way to contention, it might be the Rams. The reason I don't think that's crazy is because as you look at the teams on this list that have legitimate quarterbacks, it's like three of them. I mean, the Steelers and the Browns, uh uh-uh. Commanders, Packers, Falcons, Saints, uh, best, they're all average. Matt Stafford's a stud, dude. And I think what we're learning this year by watching him is that last year he was just hurt. And sometimes when you see a guy that has always been good in his career that suddenly looks terrible, sometimes it's because they fell off of a cliff. Other times it's uh, it's a weird injury situation, and next year they're probably going to be just fine. We saw this with Aaron Rodgers a few years ago. He's trying to play through an injury. He didn't look as good as a result. Came back the next year, and I think won MVP as a result of that. The other teams that I think you can trust from a quarterback perspective are the Chargers and the Jaguars. So one of those three teams I think will be the one that emerges. The Chargers are snake bit. I trusted them coming into the season. It was stupid. They have a terrible head coach, and they've got a team that is rotten in terms of injury luck. Bosa's already hurt. Derwin James already hurt. They've got Mike Williams, who's always hurt, who was again, once again hurt. One day you'll learn not to touch the Yeah, it's on me. I probably not. I won't. Is it weird that I put the Texans quarterback in a conversation that I trust? That's what I was going to say. The one other thing that you could point to here, one of Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud could emerge. And I think they have better defenses than the Rams or the Jaguars, who are the other two teams that you can trust their quarterbacks with. So if there's a sneaky contender to come out of the two and two squads, I think it's one of those two teams in the AFC South that currently has a good quarterback and a really solid defense. And Alex, I'm with you. I actually think it might be the Texans that emerges from this muddled middle as a team that you can kind of believe in. And you look at their upcoming schedule, buddy. The next four games are all against the NFC South for the Houston Texans. Dubs. Wins, 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 wins. Six and two. Congrats, guys. And then you've still got Arizona on the schedule. You've still got the Jets on the schedule. You've still got the Broncos on the schedule. I think the Texans have a re- very real chance of being able to make the postseason this year. I've always liked their defense, and then when they were aggressive at this draft and went after Will Anderson, that benefited them. But and Tomiko Ryan's a yeah, really good coach. I, I've been most impressed out of all these rookie quarterbacks, though, with C.J. Stroud. The guy's got the arm. He's got the accuracy. He's got the ability to move to pick up ground if he needs to. Credit and he's, to you. You said that going into the draft. He's making something out of nothing with Nico Collins and Tank Dell. Well, well let's not let's not issue my boy Tank Dell. I think both of those receivers are decent, but I think it says a lot about C.J. Stroud that he's making decent receivers look like studs. Yeah, and and we talked yesterday about how Carolina's going all in for their quarterback. There's a team that should go all in for their quarterback. It's the Houston Texans because that's a team that's at least showing yeah. the ability to win with nothing. They should trade for Mike Evans. Yeah, and the part, Absolutely. That, and the part that's really encouraging about C.J. Stroud, because I thought this would be an issue going into the draft with him, 
He has not turned the football over yet. He has not thrown yeah. an interception. Really? He's thrown six touchdowns, zero interceptions, yeah. and I think he's getting close to setting the record for uh, most completions without an interception for a rookie quarterback to start their career. Uh, like, we know how those records go, Jared Goff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Only one fumble as well has not lost a fumble yeah. so far. He's been the, the best quarterback out of all these rookie players. Yeah. He's been awesome. Uh, I think as of today, if I had to guess, he would probably be the favorite to win rookie of the year. Yeah, me too. Um, on the offensive side of the ball. Probably. Yeah. No, I think you're Unless right. Puka. Richardson <laughs> may have yeah. Puka probably will be up there. The return of Cooper Cup will probably change that for, yeah. for Puka. But I, I think right now, because of the... Um, position as well. He'd probably be the favorite. I'm Maybe Bijan would be there too. CJ Stroud as of today is the favorite in Vegas. He's at plus 175. Yeah. BJ Robin or uh, Bijan Robinson is at four to one. And then Puka is and plus four. You win the next four games against these inferior teams. Yeah. CJ Stroud becomes the ultimate favorite for that rookie of the year. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up at the top of the hour. Teams are overthinking decision-making in the postseason. Yesterday's decision will be blamed on analytics as a guy that supports some of the analytics. This wasn't about numbers, man. This was about a manager who was over his head. We'll talk about that coming up at noon. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six four six is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the six three six guys. It seems to me that a two o'clock Tuesday postseason game is an absolute middle finger to the teams and the fans that watch those teams that have been grinding through six months of baseball. Do you have an issue with the start times for Major League Baseball in the postseason? I don't actually know. don't. I, I was say I don't feel like it's a middle finger to those teams. Frankly, I think. That's pretty cool to be the first postseason team that gets underway of a full day of it. Um, I like the way that they've gone about it yeah. with these uh, these playoff games. I love the schedule. I was as a, excited. As a fan that is just sitting there watching the games, man, I really like the fact that you've got an entire day filled with baseball from start to finish. It it feels big. It feels and like March Madness. I remember last year. That's a really good comparison. I remember last year when the Cardinals were involved, and I think it was like Friday was the first game. Yeah, it's like a two o'clock, three o'clock start. Man, the place was rocking. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an awesome atmosphere. So, no, I don't give any excuse to the Tampa Bay Rays. The Twins, that, that stadium was amazing yeah. the last couple of days. So, that was a Twins or a, a Rays problem, not a baseball problem. Yeah. If we continue to see that moving forward, I would expect to see more of what the Twins say. As a like. fan, I wouldn't be pissed off if my team got a 330 start. I'd be actually pretty excited because that's a way to kick off your the end of the workday sure. to start that at that time. Yeah, I... I don't have a big issue with it. I I mean, I wouldn't mind if they ended up saying, you know, we're only going to do that on weekends because that is better off. More people can watch the games then in terms of the product at home rather than if you're going to the game. But if you're doing that on Saturdays and Sundays at this time of the year, you're going up against college exactly. in the NFL. And, and that's it, not going to work. And they don't want to do that because that's why baseball. I, I thought this is why baseball was doing this, but apparently it's only the NL that's doing this is getting the day off after game one of the DS series. Right. I'll tell you what a middle finger to teams is. Given Central Division teams 9.30 p.m. starts in the playoffs, that's the metal finger. Yes, you're you're 100% correct. Like next week, Monday, it'll be a 5 o'clock and an 8 o'clock start for the games. That's yeah. what everybody wants. Yeah. But for the first week with these wild card rounds, I like the way that they went about it. And, the, and you want to get these things done. 
like, let's get them in. Three straight days, let's play the games, and then let's get to the the DS. That's what everybody's really here for. Um, so I, I did not have an issue with it at all. 314-399-9646 is the air cover service text line. I love this question. From the 636. All right, guys, do we think if, if this is a big if, Mizzou wins out their schedule and goes undefeated, the Tigers would finish in the top four and make the playoff. I understand this is a huge if, but I am curious. Yeah, if Mizzou was, goes undefeated, they're going to the college football playoff. Beat LSU, Georgia, and Kentucky. Yeah, and, and you've already point, beat K State. The SEC West yeah. team is that you would face. Yeah, absolutely, Tanner. <laughs> yeah, you would be. I'm just running in my head real quick, because like Notre Dame's out already, in my opinion. You'd be ACC, the winner of the SEC. You're in. Yeah. And nobody's getting in in the. Well, I guess Florida State could get in the ACC. Pac-12 is going to send somebody more than likely. Big 12 will. I'm trying to think. Big 10. Big I would 12 might, think, but their only remaining hope really is Oklahoma or Texas, whoever yeah. wins this game on Saturday. So I would say, yes, they probably would get in. I don't know I how Missouri would. I don't know how Missouri would comp, though, to like Texas, Florida State, whoever wins the Pac-12, and Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State. That would be my only question, though. Yeah, the problem for those teams is that they all have to play each other. Um, yeah. I'm, I, if I'm guaranteeing, if you're telling me guaranteed right now, Missouri goes undefeated this year. They're in the college football playoff. Period. End of story. You don't have to worry about anything else. There's no other ramifications that will play them out. Somebody else will be played out. Like, it's entirely possible that one of those teams from the other conferences will miss out because of Mizzou. I think you would need you would need somebody from the other conference to have a loss. I don't think so. It's I think the SEC, so. dude. If you're an undefeated but it's team. It's a down in, SEC. Let's not pretend it's not. Agreed. I don't think that that's going to matter and to like, the committee. If, the let's SEC run, has Let's has run through. Five, all five of these teams are undefeated. Missouri, uh, pick your team in the Pac-12. Let's go USC for now. Sure. Um, and then you've got Michigan, and you've got Florida State. Missouri's the ball out, in that, my opinion there. Missouri's getting in. I'd say Missouri's out, and I would stand by that. You know what? On the sway vote, You're Missouri, Missouri gets fan. in. You don't count. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line uh, from the 314. Guys, are we seeing a tipping point in the NBA right now with players not being traded to the teams that they want to go to? First, it was with Damian Lillard. Now we're seeing it potentially with James Harden. No. <laughs> no, because like they, though Dane wanted to go to Miami, they talked to him about before he got dealt to the Bucks. Like if if. We were seeing this, what this question is. Harden's not a good example because Harden's a losing player. Now the NBA is just like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, sure. He's, yeah, you're only going to get a few good, teams that want him. When you start losing, he's a cancer in the locker room, and then we got to deal with it. I think that's what's happening with the Harden situation. I think Philadelphia would love to get out of that deal right now. Um, I, I think Dame, if, if we were seeing this, Dame would be a Portland Trailblazer right now. And he's not. He's with the Milwaukee Bucks. They, though he wanted to go to Miami, he was fine getting to go play with Giannis. He loves Giannis. This wasn't a, oh, well, the, oh, the players are losing their power. No, they're not. No. Don't even think that for a minute. They still have all the power in the world in the NBA. And if somebody wants out, they will get out. Yeah. Unless those, they're James those, Harden. Those are the ones that dictate the, where they're going, especially if you're to the caliber of players like a Damian Lillard. Like, take any other star to that level. If they want out, they're going to get moved out. I think that they will get moved out. I do think there's something to the idea that these players are not going specifically to the places that they want to go to. I think the Portland Trailblazers flat out said, no, we're not sending you to Miami. Like, we'll look at a bunch of other teams. You want to go to Miami? We're not sending you there. You got multiple years left on your contract. And you're going to go to a place that we want to send you to. Whoever has the best offer that is not named Miami, that's where you're going. 
And I think with the James Harden situation, he would really like to go to L.A. He's trying to force his way out for the third straight time with a new team again. Maybe he ends up with the Clippers. But I think if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, you're saying bleep you, man. We're going to make your life miserable, just as miserable as you're making our lives right now. Because we signed you to this contract believing that it was going to be better this time around. They were stupid for believing that, just as anybody that signs Kyrie Irving, (coughs) Dallas, is stupid for believing that it's going to be different with him. It's always the same thing with some of these guys. But um, I think the league's going to have to try to figure something out with this. Because guys... When it was the year prior, like you're a Pacers fan, T-Bone, when Paul George forced his way out of Indiana, that was one thing. It was one year left on his contract, and he basically told them, hey, I'm not resigning. It's smart for you guys to send me somewhere else. Carmelo Anthony did the same thing when he wanted to go to the New York Knicks. Like those, all right, it's annoying as a fan of that team, but you can understand why a player would do that the year prior to free I mean, You see those kind of things like in the NHL, where yeah. a guy says, I'm not going to re- resign Matthew here. Kachuk. Kachuk. It makes sense. Yeah. When you've got three, four, five years remaining on your contracts that you just signed and you're forcing your way out, that is something very different than what we're seeing with a Paul George, a Matthew Kachuk, those types of situations. I, I will say this, though I push back on the notion that we're seeing more teams fight back on guys putting in trade requests. I think they are fighting now more for we're not just going to sell you for a, any deal. Sure. I think now teams are coming to the conclusion of, look, we'll trade you with four years left on your deal. If you want out, fine. We don't even want to deal with it. But we've got to get the package that you're worth. And I think that's the thing that we saw across the NBA for a while was it was, all right, just give us whatever. You you take the player. We'll take whatever the hell you're willing to give us. Now I think it is we're not moving hard unless you're giving us what Harden's worth. And I think that's the holdup with the Clippers. The Clippers are trying to get him on a bargain deal. Yeah. seeing that right now with William Nylander and the Maple Leafs. Yeah. Like, they, Maple Leafs know they can't re-sign him, but they're not trading him until they get what they feel is valuable for him, which is why he's still playing there. We'll get out of here on this. Adam Schefter just tweeted it out. For the second straight day, Lions wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown did not practice due to an abdominal issue. Oh, I'm so glad I picked up Jameson Williams If you're in, in my a league. fantasy league, just a quick piece of advice. What Alex just said is exactly what you should do. He should already be picked up off of waivers, but if you're in a smaller league, maybe shorter benches, if Jameson Williams is available in your league, go pick him up because he's going to get a ton of targets if Amon Ross St. Brown's out. And my worry originally was they're going to slow play him in because Reynolds has played well for them. You know, they do have Jameer Gibbs that they don't know how to use him. Maybe they'll use him as a wide receiver. But if that's true, yeah, Jameson Williams ain't going to be eased back into the game. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next. (sighs) Yes. Teams are overthinking decisions in the postseason. And yesterday we saw our latest example. Many are going to place this at the feet of analytics. Man, there ain't an analytic in the world that agreed with the decision that was made yesterday. We'll explain it next year on 101 ESPN. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's been itching to do that, and now he's going to his left-handers. Yep. We'll see what happens. Wow. John Snyder has firmly put himself in the crosshairs and making this move. Signed a six-year, $200 million deal for moments like this. Hit sharply up the middle. It's a base hit. Lewis scores. Kepler will stop at third. Correa with an RBI single. And the Twins are on the board. It's 1-0. But I truly believe, Alex, that move was made sometime in the middle of the night as he's looking at a computer spreadsheet. All right, that's the typical analysis that you're going to hear on this one. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, that audio courtesy of ESPN. It was a no good, very bad decision that was made yesterday by the Toronto Blue Jays. They decided after three innings and 47 pitches to take out the man that they paid more than $100 million for games like that. Jose Barrios was cruising, man. Five strikeouts in those three innings. Yeah, he had just walked a batter, and you've got a lefty coming up to the plate. Is that an ideal scenario for Jose Barrios? No. You'd rather him not have to face Max Kepler. But we're talking about Max Kepler, man. This is not going up against Bryce Harper or Kyle Schwarber. It's Max Kepler who you're getting ready to go up against with your dude on the mound as the Toronto Blue Jays. So in that spot... Schneider, the manager for the Toronto Blue Jays, decides, you know what? We're going to our left-handed starter that T-Bone has fallen in love with this year with Kikuchi. I love Kikuchi. Here is Schneider explaining the decision after the game. Tough to take him out. You know, I think with the way that they're constructed, you want to utilize your whole roster. Uh, and it didn't work out, you know. I think you, you can look at it broadly and say it didn't work out because they scored two runs and we did make a change. Yeah. Um, you can also look at the fact that it didn't work out and we didn't take advantage of, of uh, at-bats we have with runners in scoring position. So you can sit here and second-guess me, second-guess the organization, second-guess anybody. Yeah, we will because that was a dumb decision. And there was no explanation there, really. (laughs) It was just, "Ah, you know, I wanted everybody to pitch. Schneider's, that's spring training. No, this is a team game, and a team is going to win this game. Here's the part. Like, I I know everybody is going to go to the analytical side of this and say, oh, well, the data. Like, this was more about the people that say managers need to go with their guts. He literally just told you he went with his gut there. That Barrios was doing well, but we want to utilize our entire roster, and we felt like we had the right pitcher to put into that position, and it didn't work out. Like, the the people that back the gut feel, well, welcome to the gut feel in a game that didn't work. This was old school. We want to get seven seven innings or six innings out of two starters. Like, that, that's what this was. And not even old school. This was a decision that they made where they said, you know what, we think that we like what Kikuchi can do with this lineup and – if we back up what our starter is going to give us with Kikuchi between the two of them, we feel like we got a really good start out of those two guys. Six, seven innings could get us there. Here's the problem. There will be a lot of people, as Alex said, that go straight to the numbers. And that's what A-Rod did last night. He said, I'm blaming it on the spreadsheets. That's what's making this decision. <laughs> the spreadsheets. So let's dive into that a little bit. Because I, I do think this is the type of thing that ends up getting just overanalyzed to death by the manager, not by you and the listening audience right now. So coming up to the plate, he had a situation where he's got a right-handed pitcher on the mound with Barrios, who does have some splits. They're not overly significant, but splits nonetheless. We're lefties hitting better than right-handed hitters. 
So three of the next four hitters for the Twins that were scheduled to come up are left-handed hitters. Max Kepler is the first one. He's going to have to face him no matter what. They're probably going to leave Kepler in that game. They did so even after bringing in Kikuchi, which means, yeah, we're just going to leave him in no matter what. Kepler is a good hitter. He's not a guy that I'm taking my starter out of the game for. After that, you've got Kirillov, who in his career, or in this season rather, was a 300 hitter against righties. Good hitter. With an 858 OPS. They decided to take him out of the game, the Twins did, in favor of Donovan Solano. That was always the expected outcome there. Donovan Solano was a 290 hitter this year against left-handed pitchers with a 750 OPS. So is he as good as Kirillov is? No. Still basically the same hitter, though. You went from a 300 hitter to a 290 hitter and a guy that's got an OPS of 850 to a guy that's got an OPS of 750. In one scenario, one at-bat, that's not big enough in terms of the splits for me to take my starter out to get that significant platoon split. So then, later on in that inning, the next at-bat after Carlos Correa goes up there is Matt Wallner. Now, Matt Wallner this year against right-handed pitchers has a 970 OPS. Pretty damn good. Against lefties, he basically doesn't play. If you decide to take him out, which they decided to do because there's a left-handed pitcher coming into the game, you go to Castro in that spot. Castro this year against right-handed pitchers has an 800 OPS. So, like, I just don't really know what they were trying to accomplish here. There's not a significant enough split in a one-at-bat sample size to make these kinds of choices. If you're going from, like, Kyle Schwarber to, like, I'm trying to think of a good scenario here. Uh, Tommy Edmond at the plate. Okay, yeah, I get it. Like, you're going from a guy that's got like a 950 OPS against right-handed pitching to a guy that's going to get crushed against righties. That's not what happened here. This is a scenario where the Twins are constructed in a way that they can hit both righties and lefties depending on the matchup that you throw against them. If you wanted to do this in the sixth inning, cool. Doing it in the third is or fourth is insane. This was a decision by the Toronto Blue Jays that never made sense. It is not backed by the numbers. It is not backed by any sort of a gut scenario. This was them not trusting their $200 million pitcher, and that is the story from yesterday. They didn't trust Jose Barrios to get out of a tough spot. Which is wild because he is the guy that you traded for in this situation. He's the guy that you look at and say, if we're going to win, you know how we always go with it. It's like, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down with our best guy. Why would you move on from that? A guy who gave you as a lead of stuff as you can ask for in an elimination game that way. And to be in that position to say, not what well, we're just going to go with the other options that we have in our bullpen so weird, to man. use the argument of what well, we wanted to utilize our entire roster. Why? Because if you lose this game, well, it's over. But if you win this game, you still have one more game to go with. I would much rather stick with the guy who has showed me the stuff to at least give me five innings to keep this game close. It's just, I know it wasn't a numbers back decision, but it was a decision that was made the night prior to the game. That part I 100% agree with. It was a part where, and Barrios had struggled his last two starts, but to your guys' point... That's the guy you stick with. Whether whether you want to agree or not with the decision that, and I'm not referring to the Quintana game here real quick, yeah. but remember, going into if the Cardinals forced a game three last year, they were going with their guy. Their guy was Adam Wainwright coming off of a just brutal month of September. And we were going to we were gonna criticize the Cardinals for that decision if they end up having to do that. They end up not having to do it because they lose in two games. But they were going to go with their guy, even though there were red blinking alarms. This may have been like just your fire alarm that blinks once and you don't even see it because Barrios had been good all year, but had struggled in the last two starts. So this was clearly a decision that 
was overmanaged that was decided the night prior was, okay, he struggled the last two, and because of that, we can't let him get into any trouble early on. We have to utilize our whole roster. And that's without going with the eye test. The, I know, like, I'm going to sound real old school here. Berrios was dealing yesterday. He was. And, and there's no reason that after that walk you look at that and go, oh, that's when we got to do it. Because that plan probably was going into that game, he runs into trouble, we've got to go to Kikuchi early on. I mean, he was warming up after the first inning yeah. was Kikuchi. Well, they were they clearly, clearly ready to make this an move. Opener. They, yeah. they viewed him as an opener going into yesterday, and that tells you everything they need. you need to know about Jose Barrios, or at least who Jose Barrios is in the eyes of the Toronto Blue Jays. And this brings us to the Cardinals. Man, as I'm looking here as John Mosellock, I'm thinking about Jose Barrios. I'm thinking about the Toronto Blue Jays. They're going to have to make some changes. This was a very disappointing season for Toronto. They won 89 games. I get that. But this was supposed to be a championship or bust type of a year for them. They're all in, more or less, right now. You look at their rotation, man, Kevin Gossman, Kikuchi, Chris Bassett, Jose Barrios, they're all expected to come back next year under current contract. David Schoenfeld wrote this yesterday, Alex, on ESPN after they were eliminated. The Blue Jays might have to consider trading from their rotation depth for position player health. But after running a payroll of 50 to $60 million higher than it was in 2022 and not getting any better results for it, maybe ownership ends up balking at matching the 2023's club uh, record payroll. If that is the case and they want to shed a little payroll the way that the Padres appear to be wanting to do as well, this should be a team that Mo is targeting. Mo should be calling the Mariners, the Marlins, the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Padres, all of these teams that fell short of expectations in 2023 to find out where they're at temperature-wise. And if I am him, the two guys that I'm most calling about are Kevin Gossman and Jose Barrios. If I could potentially get in on one of those two guys, Barrios at five years, $100 million left on his contract, or Kevin Gossman, three years, $70 million left on his, those are two guys that I would be very interested in because you can't get those two caliber of players on this year's open market for that kind of a price. That is a discount relative to what you'll be paying this year on the open market. Yeah, and I mean, we already talked about how Sonny Gray showcased himself as the, the the main guy to go after. And if these are the options there and it's not hurting your offense in the way that one trade might, Kevin Gossman would be the one I'd target over Barrios. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's, he pitches like the guy that you're trying to sign in terms of Aaron Nola. Now, I would still lean more towards Yamamoto if I could acquire that player. But if I know that Yamamoto is going to be too costly for me and I have to sign Sonny Gray, I would be Dude. targeting Gossman in a heartbeat. 32 makes me a little nervous, but I'd rather 32 who's pitched this way since he was 30 than Aaron Nola at 31 in next five years being a little concerned. If you could end this offseason with Kevin Gossman and Sonny Gray, that is a front line of your rotation that can go up against anybody in Major League Baseball. Kevin Gossman can go head-to-head against Zach Wheeler, and I feel like you've got a at least a push when it comes to those two guys. Wasn't Gossman the one that said at the beginning of the season about the Cardinals lineup being so dangerous? I think that was. That was Gossman, was wasn't Bassett. it? I think it was, was, it Bassett. Bassett. I thought it was Bassett okay. that said it. Goss, uh, Gossman had 240 strikeouts this year, led all of the American League. And he throws like 190 plus innings a season, at least the last he's, three years. He's a really good pitcher. And, he is exactly the type of player that you should be looking at. And if the Blue Jays say we're not moving him and the Cardinals have to go to the one and two market to sign those guys, if you're looking for the five to acquire, I would acquire Kikuchi on that $10 million deal. I mean, he's, sure. a, he's a lefty and he's got great stuff. I watched him pitch a couple of times this year he's a legitimate number five to bring in and he's going to cost right around what that market is i mean if you're looking at do we trade for a kikuchi and give up assets plus take on his 10 million dollars or do we look for a james paxton or a tyler malley on a bounce back deal 
that's kind of the same market, and I would take Kikuchi over most of those guys it on that market. It might be like a Burleson for Kikuchi type of deal. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that you're looking at there. You're not going to have to give up your big-time left-handed exactly. bats in order to make a deal like that happen. Coming up next, Greg Wyshynski. He's written a lot about the Blues this offseason. Not much of it was particularly kind to oh. the St. Louis Blues. We'll ask him about what his expectations are for St. Louis next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend. We haven't talked to this man in quite some time. He's an NHL analyst for ESPN.com. His name is Greg Wyshynski, and you can follow him on Twitter at his last name, at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Greg, we appreciate the time as always, man. Excited for this hockey season. How are you doing today? I'm good. I mean, we haven't talked in a while. I guess this is what you know what happens when a team doesn't make the playoffs. Hey, but, Greg. Uh, Greg. You know, these things happen. These things happen. Greg, this is why we had you on, man. Why do you hate the Blues so much, Greg? I, I thought we were friends. I thought the Puck Daddy and BK and Ferrario were buddies. I remember sitting in that press box with Greg Wyshynski yeah. going into the Colorado Avalanche series and him telling us, hey, I think the Blues might be able to do this. And then ever since, Greg, it's just been pot shot after pot why shot Why did we blues. hurt you, Greg? I've got no issue with the blues. <laughs> I mean, it's it, you know, I listen. I have to call it like I see it, and like I see it is that it's a team that has diminishing returns, uh, a team that has a lot of familiar names on the blue line that maybe don't all add up to it being a good blue line, uh, that has a, a one extraordinarily great forward line in uh, Busnevich and and Kairu and Thomas, which I think could be the kind of line that's worth the price of admission, but overall has you know, some atrophy as far as the, the names that have left, like O'Reilly and Tarasenko. And then, you know, unfortunately, a uh, goaltender that's probably going to have more fighting majors than playoff wins this year for them. Well, I mean, I'd like to at least see one of those fights. I know a lot of people might get up in arms with that one, but but let's stick with the, let's stick with the defense here for a minute, Greg, because I, you speak for almost every blues fan in the area, because every time we talk about it and I'll lean towards the optimism side, it's, well, it's the same team. How can it be different? can there be an improvement from last year that gets people optimistic about this defense? I don't think so. I mean, again, it's, it's the group that they're stuck with also because of how many, how much trade protection these guys have on their contracts. And, you know, some of the contracts aren't all that fantastic either. And so far as still being a flat cap, obviously it'll go up next season, but right now it, it does restrict a lot of teams and so far as what they can do financially. So again, I, I just think, you know, it's a lot of familiar names, but it's a lot of names that have gotten older. And in the case of Colton Pareko, we've gotten a little bit more ineffective as, as time has gone on. And, uh, you know, again, on, on paper, if you showed me this group maybe like three years ago, I'd be like, wow, that's incredible. How is this not a playoff team? <laughs> but time marches on. And, and as a group, for whatever reason, uh, it just doesn't come together. So I, I guess my, my concern with this, Greg, is that it's not just a one-year issue. Like, They've got Nick Letty, Tory Krug, Justin Falk, and Colton Pareko all signed for multiple years remaining, even after 2023. I know the cap's expected to go up after this season, but if this doesn't get turned around, what does the long-term outlook look like for this Blues defense? Not great. I mean, again, this is a, it's a veteran group, right? And and you have to find ways to to change the mix if it's not working. 
and you know, we talked about the trade protection. How many how many guys have no trade clauses? And you know, the good news for yeah, all of them. But the good news for the Blues is that you can find ways around a no trade clause. I mean, you can play hardball with a guy um, when it comes to a no trade clause because it's not a no movement clause. And I remember you know going back a few years, there was an issue with the Tampa Bay Lightning where they wanted to get rid of Dan Boyle. And they threatened to like you know drop them into the minors or drop them on waivers or something. There's ways you can get around no trade clauses insofar as exerting pressure if you needed to strong arm somebody. So that's the good news. And the good news also is that with the cap going up, it's going to be maybe easier to move some of these contracts uh, next off season. But but as a for now problem, I mean it's it's not an impressive group. They're playing in front of a goaltender that's in, inconsistent at best. And I think, you know, defensively, this, this Blues team, which used to be such a stalwart defensively, I think it's going to be one of their issues this year. So, Greg, let me ask you this, and this is going to seem like an odd question, but I, I do remember, obviously, you, you've covered hockey for a long time, and you saw Tory Krug at his best with the Boston Bruins. He, of course, was in the news uh, about the pot- uh, potential trade in the offseason, that he nixed to stay with St. Louis. What was it when you watched Tory Krug at his best that made him stick out? It was speed. Um, it, it, it was good puck movement. It was being the quarterback on a on a power play that you know in hindsight was loaded with a lot of talent with Marchand and, and obviously with Pasternak being an absolute terror on the power play and he continues to be. Um, just a, a good steady offensive defenseman. I mean, the problem for him immediately was he was you know the alternative to losing Alex Petrangelo and and they're not similar defensemen. Like Petro obviously does a lot more and has certainly done a lot more with his time with the Vegas Golden Knights. They're different guys. And I I feel like that was always going to be a a strike against Krug during his time in St. Louis because it wasn't a one-for-one deal. He's a different defenseman, and he he certainly couldn't fill the skates that, that Petrangelo left behind. We're talking to Greg Wyshynski for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at ESPN.com and follow him on Twitter at Wyshynski. Uh, Greg, one of the lines that I'm really intrigued by for the Blues is basically the outcast line. You've got Yaku Vrana, <laughs> Kevin Hayes, and Sammy Blay, all of whom were basically dropped from their previous team. And then the Blues are hoping that they're able to find some value with them. Yaku Vrana, basically from the moment that he was traded over here to St. Louis, has produced as a goal scorer. We know about his history and what he was in Washington, and he's trying to get back to that player. What is your level of confidence that he can be a 25-plus goal scorer again in this league? Well, that's just the thing. Like, I mean, when he arrived in St. Louis, for lack of a better term, it was garbage time. I mean, it wasn't like they were in the midst of a playoff race. And and I think when that happens, guys can get a little loosey-goosey and play a little bit more offensively and and not have to really pay attention to the other side of the ice. I mean, it's, it's... you're just trying to compile stats at that point. So I'm not surprised that he was able to put up numbers. I, I'm going to be interested more as we start this regular season and the games are more meaningful. And, and, uh, and obviously there's a little bit more defensive responsibility you probably want from him, what that game ends up looking like. He's always been a guy that's been able to, to put up impressive offensive numbers. But then obviously the off-ice stuff has really impacted his life. And hopefully he's got all that straight out. He can concentrate on being a, a productive offensive player for the Blues. He's paired up and has been paired up with Kevin Hayes, Greg, and it's been aligned through a couple of preseason games that looks that's looked really good. What kind of impact can a Kevin Hayes have on this team after what you've seen in Philly the last couple of Uh-oh. years? I don't think he's well, a fan of this move. 
Well, no, no. I, I, they, listen, from a fiscal standpoint, like it was a really smart decision to get Hayes in for the cap that they got him at. Like if, and they also didn't have to give up anything for him. So, I mean, if you're getting Kevin Hayes for free and they're picking up freight on that contract, I mean, why not? I mean, he's, he's fine. He's not a top-line center by any means. I think he's, he can be a solid citizen uh, in the locker room. And if you're not expecting too much out of him, I think you could be he could be fine as as a depth center, uh, which is what I think he's projected to be. So no, nah, I didn't, I had no beef with the, the Kevin Hayes move. I think it's uh, it was a good bit of business. Stop putting words in his mouth, BK. Um, Damn it! I, I I misread what he wrote in his piece the other day where he said I like the trade fiscally more than I like it on the ice. That was my my bad well, on no, interpreting I mean, it incorrectly. That's, that's, that's the thing. Like it, it all comes down to expectation. Like I'm I'm not the biggest Kevin Hayes guy insofar as I'm playing and you're like your top six. But I mean if they if they cast him the right way, um, I think I think he could be effective. But again, like the thing I love most about the move is is getting an NHL player who can play you know third line center sure. for nothing basically. So, Greg, as you look at the Central Division, because I think this is really, if you're a Blues fan that is optimistic, as Alex is going into the season, where your optimism comes from is the Central is not exactly an overwhelming division right now. How do you view this division from the 10,000-foot view? Yeah, I mean, you've got two elite teams in, in Colorado and Dallas at the top of the division, and I've seen projections you know, that have Dallas winning the Central, have Colorado winning the Central. I have the Avs uh, winning the Central assuming they can stay, you know, moderately healthy. Uh, even, even, even last year, they, they had all those injuries and still ended up winning it. So like either, either one of those teams is going to finish at the top. And then behind them is, is like, like you said, you have the Minnesota wild who I guess you pencil in for over a hundred points every year, but then there's no real level up to that team because they still have systemic lineup problems that they can't solve because of their cap situation. Cause they had to spend all that buyout money on, on Parise and Suter a couple of years ago. And then you have that, that level behind them, and, and it's a bunch of teams kind of scratch, scratching and clawing and trying to get into a wild-card spot. So, and the Blues are one of them. I th- I'm really high on the Predators. I think that Andrew Brunette's going to turn that team into a, a good offensive team, and they've got incredible goaltending. Uh, and then the, the real wild card's Arizona. I, I'm pretty high on Arizona. Like I think that they've got a good base to build on. They imported some really good offensive talent in the offseason, in particular getting Logan Cooley to sign. I think he's going to potentially have more points than Bedard this year as a, as a rookie. Um, they've got good, good gold, I think, doing. They've got that, that mullet arena magic at, <laughs> at Arizona State University where they play really, really well in that little building. And then the other X factor is that the Blues have to worry about is, is Winnipeg, too, where you know we all went into the summer thinking that they were going to blow this thing up and Hellebuck gets traded and Shifley gets traded, and it ended up not being that way. And They've got a talented team uh, still around those guys, uh, but it remains to be seen, you know, what the ceiling is going to be and, and whether or not they're going to have guys like Cole Perfetti uh, move up in the lineup and replace a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who they traded to the Kings. Greg, final one for you. We appreciate the time as always. We, we play a game on our show called More Likely to Happen. I'm going to give you two scenarios. Tell me which one's more likely. More likely that the Blues compete for one of those bottom wild card spots this season or they're selecting in the top 10 once again. More likely that they're a lottery team. What would have to happen for them to be competing for that wild card spot in your mind? Like, what's the thing that would have to go right? Incredible goaltending, um, you know, to to make up for the deficiencies on defense, and then and then kind of have the division sort of uh, not be as competitive as we think it could be. In insofar as teams like the Jets and the and the Predators and the Coyotes. 
But, you know, and then the other thing, too, would be if the, if the Kyrie Thomas line can pop off. I mean, it's, it's not unheard of in the NHL to be carried by one great offensive line. And, and if that line can, can win you some games, uh, then they might be in business. But you guys know that I'm, I'm just not a Bennington guy. And I'm not going to relitigate this crap the hundred thousandth time with Blues fans. Like I understand you watch him and he wins games that does fancy things, and then you and then you want to ignore what the stats tell you. But the stats tell you the guy's a sieve. He's had declining save percentages since he won the cup. And you know we, we could do this dance all day. But like the bottom line is that unless that guy is is a better regular season goalie, they're not going to get a sniff of the playoffs. Hey. Greg, what do the numbers need to look like for you to like Jordan Bennington again? Well, his save percentage has to trend Above up. Average. And, and and also it'd be good if maybe he didn't have a negative goal saved above expected for once in the last couple of years. Like there's, there's he needs to be better, and he also needs to kind of like just focus on the game. You know, I, I know there's always this constant debate on whether or not like he's trying to fire up the boys by doing all this nonsense in the crease. Like he's a, you know, a, a B grade Ron Hextall, but like, you know, enough of the nonsense, focus on the goaltending and be better than he's been. It's a pretty, pretty easy solution. As somebody that has been trying to make basically those statements on the air in St. Louis for the last two years, I'm going to go ahead and peek over at the text line to see if you got the same reaction that I've been getting for two years. But Greg, I appreciate you. <laughs> we still love you, Greg. You're still our guy. I, 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 I've been getting it on Twitter for, for forever. Like every time he does something stupid, uh, you know, people come at me. And then, and then the other thing is that whenever he makes a good save, people come at me and are yeah. just like, what do you have to say now? I'm like, always make saves. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's a ta- he's a, he could be a talented player, but I just don't think that he's played up to a level to get them into a playoff spot. Greg, you're the best, man. Appreciate you hopping on as always. We'll certainly be talking with you again soon. Hopefully as the Blues are a little better than anticipated. Fingers crossed. Anytime. See you, Greg. Got it. That's Greg Wyshynski, NHL analyst for ESPN.com. We always appreciate him hopping on the show. Look, a ton of people are texting and saying, why have this guy on if he's going to bash on St. Louis? What's the point? Look, Greg Wyshynski is, has and is a very notable analyst around hockey. He's been a long time. Why have him on? Because this is what everybody texts in when I'm the optimistic one about the Blues. This is what the national side looks at the St. Louis Blues as. Hey, man, this is what I've been saying about Bennington for two years. And I understand, like, it is a, it is not a popular opinion to have. When you are the guy that is on, first of all, the Blues Radio Network, and second of all, is here in St. Louis talking about the goalie that won you your first cup in the history of the franchise. Saying, hey, that guy's been a below league average goalie for the past three seasons. Not exactly the most popular stance, but it's true. I just think it's important to get perspective from the other side. And someone said it's important to get the unbiased takes. I I just always feel like going into a season, it's important to get someone who is on the negative side of a team to see what they look at so that when you go into the season, you can look at it in both lenses. Hey man, last year, Vegas was very down on the blues going into the season. I remember having the conversation. It was right around this time last year and we, asked, okay, why is it that Vegas is so low or are they just flat out wrong? Like I thought going into the season, Vegas was wrong on Mizzou. I thought they were, they were way too low on the Mizzou win total. It was six and a half. I said, that's crazy. Look at the schedule. Look at the team that they're bringing back. If this team wins fewer than seven games, it is a disaster of the highest possible regard, and everybody should be fired. So I really liked the over on their win total. Going into last season, Alex, I know you were very high on the Blues going into the season. Vegas was much lower on them, and so we tried to have the conversation on the air of, 
okay, how do they not end up being the team that goes over the win total? And we came to the conclusion of, hey, the defense takes a little bit of a step back. What the underlying numbers were saying is more real than what the actual numbers ended up being. Guess what? That was the truth. The defense did take a step back going into last season. This year, the upside case for the Blues, I think, Alex, is threefold. One, the goal-scoring production goes back to where it was two years ago. You have Yakub Verona, Kasperi Kapanen add some depth. You end up getting a better season than expected from Kevin Hayes. That's how you get the offense. The defense takes a step forward. They look more like they did two years ago than last year. And third, it is the goalie. Like, you need Jordan Bennington to be a really good goalie this year. And if he's not, this team can't make the playoffs. You're right. I mean, like somebody joked at the beginning of this and said, oh, I can't wait to hear Alex get angry after the interview with Greg and talk about how Greg's completely wrong. I think Greg is absolutely right if you're a pessimistic about this team, but I'm a little bit more optimistic about this team. And I think those areas, I mean, defensively, you have to be better than last season. And if you're not, you will be a lottery team. And I think it will improve. But the one area that he did discuss that I find interesting was when I asked him what Tory Krug looked like at his best. And he's talked about his speed, his ability to move the puck out of the zone, and quarterback a number one power play. Guess what? Offense is leading this team to success this season, and if Tory Krug's not playing that way, then yeah, you're not going to be a great team. And that's the focus of this upcoming year. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed any of that conversation with Greg Wyshynski, uh, and you want to hear the opposite side of what Alex says about the Blues on the radio... You can check that out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Somebody said we should hook him up to the uh, <laughs> a contraction simulator and crank it up to level 10. Somebody from the 618 said, BK, so wishy-washy on Bennington. Well, your, full, uh, your opinion was different months ago. Which one is it, BK? Am I? I think people just get confused when both of us talk. Sometimes yeah. you sound like me. Sometimes I sound like you. My opinion's been pretty consistent about Jordan Bennington. I, I tend to agree with Greg that he does have too many antics. I think sometimes people go over the top on the criticism of the antics. Yeah, you're not on the end of Greg saying like he's an awful goaltender and his no, save percentage has no, 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 completely no. declined. Um, I, I am of the opinion that he's been a below league average goalie for the past three seasons. I think two years ago, he was outplayed by Joel Ho or not Joel Hofer um, by T-Bone's guy. Huso. Yeah. How's he doing right now in Detroit? Well, I think that speaks to where Jordan Bennington was at that point in his career. I think last year was just an underwhelming season where everything went wrong. I don't think all of that was to blame on Bennington, but I also don't think he was necessarily helping them. I think this year, his season last year was like miles Michaelis this year for the Cardinals. If you want to blame the defense, if you want to blame the lack of a spring training for Miles Michaelis, you can do all of that. Also, Michaelis didn't pitch well enough, and he would say that. And I think the same thing is true for Jordan Bennington. Um, he needs to be better. Yep. So this year, that's going to be a big test for him going into the season. Should've all right. Too, so. Coming up next, yesterday was the latest reminder of how big the gap is between the NL Central and the best teams in the rest of the National League. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. advanced to the division series as they knock off the Brewers. Yeah. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, once again, the NL Central makes the playoffs and the NL Central is swept out of the playoffs. Just it seems as like a expected. tale as old as time. The Brewers are Andy. just the second team in Major League Baseball history to have a multi-run lead at home in each of the final two games of a postseason series and lose both of those games by at least three runs. They didn't just get beat. They got whooped by the Arizona Diamondbacks over the last couple of days. The other to do so was the Cubs back in 2003 in the NLCS. So this is not a group that you want to be involved with. And yet, that's where the Brewers are at. Since 2020... The NL Central is 2-17 and 17 in the postseason combined. They have been outscored in those games 76-37. to 37. They have scored more than three runs in the 19 games in which the NL uh, Central has appeared. They've more, scored more than three runs three times in that stretch. By the way, a couple of those were actually the Cardinals that scored more than three runs. The entire rest of the NL Central combined has done it once. I guess uh, the model of build on pitching and defense doesn't work anymore, does it? <laughs> Not Alex, in postseason. When you see what the Central Division has done in the postseason over the past four years now, what does it tell you? That the Central's not as good as they think they are compared to every team in the National League? And I, I mean, I know I said it kind of tongue in cheek, but look at the teams that go into the postseason from the NL Central. What is their model? Pitching and defense. Like, that's what their model is. And I'm not saying other teams don't have that. Obviously, the Phillies have great pitching. Obviously, the Braves have incredible pitching. But it's just a model that doesn't seem to work anymore compared to what you're watching specifically with the Phillies, with the Braves, with the Dodgers. Although I know we're a little skeptical on the Dodgers right now. Like, these teams try to be superior in one area where the NL Central always seems to Try and be great in one area, if that makes sense. I I think you're on to something there because I think a lot of the teams that have gone to the playoffs from the NL Central have not been postseason rosters. They Like for the Brewers, for the last handful of years. Yeah, their pitching's been great. They don't have any slug. They've got no power. They had no offense going into this year. All season, they never had power. Yeah, I thought for sure they'd lose this series too. Look at their lineup yesterday. Carlos Santana and Mark Cano were their three and four hole hitters. Think about that for a second. And like, like those they are, got those guys at the deadline for nothing. And those are okay hitters that you don't mind having in your lineup if they're hitting like seven. Those yeah. I was gonna say those would be seven, eight hitters on any other team. Yeah. yeah most contenders. Or even teams. in the lineup. Yeah. And, and like when you think back to some of those Cubs teams that failed when they had like Rizzo in them, like they had a good offense at the back end of that. But the offense was kind of overstated because that lineup never really meshed well together, and the pitching was just fine. And, and their offense relies on Judge and Stanton. Is that the well, one? No, no, oh, no, no, the Cubs. The okay. Cubs. I thought you were talking Yankees. Uh, but I 
I look at it with the NL Central and I say nobody's been willing to spend what's necessary to build a playoff roster. And that's why, as much as I believe in the Cardinals are going to change things this offseason and go out and find the necessary pitching, there is a major difference in building a team this offseason to win the NL Central and a team that is going to compete in the playoffs. Because they can build a team that's going to win the NL Central. That's building a 90-win team. That's basically having a 90-92-win team. And that's not good enough. They need to be building to try and earn that buy. And I, I've been saying that. That's the lesson. Number one lesson I learned from their exit against Philadelphia last year is they've got to build to get to that buy, be one of the top two teams in the National League, because settling on just being the NL Central champ will be settling on a early October exit moving forward. Uh, I, I don't know if you have this in front of you, BK, but you said it was two wins for the NL Central teams in the postseason? Uh, the NL Central is 2-17. and 17, The yes. two wins, one obviously being the Cardinals. Who's the other one? Mm, I'd have to go back through. Because well, give me one my, my only thought process with this was, look at the year that that one series win happened uh, the for the Cardinals. 2021. The Cardinals won that series against Atlanta from awesome offense, right? We scored like nine runs in the first inning, that, that elimination game that they had. I, I don't remember as much about the Brewers in 2021. They had to have been they won dominant. They one and I'm not talking about series. I'm talking about games. The, the well, that, NL Central that's even... is 2-17 and 17 in games since the start of the 2020 postseason. The two wins were the Cardinals winning game one of the Wild Card Series in 2020 against the San Diego Padres. They won that game 7-4. to four, And the Brewers in 2021 won game one of the NLDS 2-1. to one. Yeah, Those are the two wins that have taken place within this division in the postseason since the start of the 2020 postseason. And neither of those teams I felt like were to the length of greatness that these teams are having success for deep runs in the playoffs have been. And it's to T-Bone's point. The only time you've had success does feel like what Jerry DePoto said yesterday of, hey, if we get in, anything can happen. Whereas these other teams, no, they get into the playoffs, they're going to be a dominant force. I think both of the National league series were instructive on this everybody knew the marlins weren't a legitimate playoff team everybody we yeah. went into the playoffs saying oh they've got pretty good pitching but like you look at the lineup and it's not a it's not a playoff caliber lineup it's a lineup that can get to the postseason but it's never going to get through the postseason the same thing was true of the brewers a uh, really good pitching staff but let's be honest when you look at that lineup it leaves a lot to be desired even if those teams one of them had found a way to scratch and claw and Mike Schilt their way through the National League wildcard series, they were never going to be able to do anything in the second round. The, the NLDS was the end of both of those teams. And the truth is, they just never even had a chance in the wildcard round. The Diamondbacks were better. The Phillies were significantly better. It's hard to watch what we saw in the first round of the playoffs and say to yourself, ooh, those teams are on the same level as the D-backs, the Phillies, the Twins, the Rangers. Th those teams were just on a completely different level. Offensively, defensively, pitching, well, both in the rotation and in the bullpen, than anything that we saw from the Marlins or the Brewers. And some of that is injuries. The Brewers were hurt by an injury. The Marlins rotation fell apart because of injuries that took place this year. But, man, let's be honest, the Rangers, same thing is true. And they built their team deep enough to where they could find a way to overcome that. The Rays didn't have the necessary firepower offensively going into this series because of injuries and the Wander Franco situation. That just loomed so large yeah. for them going into the playoffs. And then their entire team fell apart as a result. They had a bunch of young guys that were playing out there. They weren't ready for this kind of a moment. And the Blue Jays just, they were a paper tiger all year long. You looked at the statistics offensively, they are like, ah, that's not real. They're going to be fine. Look at the lineup. Look at all the names that are in that lineup. It kind of reminded me of what the Cardinals had this year. Where all season long, I was sitting here telling you guys, Cardinals lineup is going to be fine. 
just just wait for it. It's going to come around, and it never really did. And the same thing was true this year in Toronto. They were supposed to be this offensive juggernaut that was combined with a great starting pitching rotation. They ended up just being a really good rotation that had an excellent defense and a bunch of names in the lineup that you were always asking for more from. So what? how does that apply to the Cardinals? Man, you have to build a team that is excellent from 1 to like 35. Yep. Not 1 to 26, 1 to 35. Because to get through the postseason next year, you're going to need those guys that are in that 27 to 35 range to be able to help you either during the regular season to get there and to get to that top two seed that T-Bone's talking about or to help you through the postseason as you're dealing with injuries in your rotation. And that's where you need to be superior in something. And to be superior, you've got depth. And it's on the pitching side, it's on the bullpen side, it's on the offensive side. You're going to have to be dominant somewhere. And to be dominant, you've got to be deep. And I don't know if the Cardinals are that. I, I think they can be close to what this Texas Rangers team is. And not by too. not by like saying, hey, they can get a DeGrom and a Scherzer and free agent because those guys aren't. You're talking about the current Rangers. The, I'm team. talking about the current Rangers that's in the playoffs right now because I look at what Evaldi did. Evaldi had struggled, but like when he's right and he's pitching well, he's a solid number two pitcher or a number three at best uh, or at worst, excuse me. I look at Montgomery. He's clearly a number two. Hell, he's a target for the St. Louis Cardinals this offseason. Sonny Gray. Yeah. Uh, the Cardinals can build a current Texas Rangers rotation this offseason to pair with their offense. Now, I don't know if their offense is as good as Texas, but I would put it pretty close to comparable to the Texas Rangers. When it's right, that, it's that good. Yeah, that's the team that I look at this postseason and I say that to the Cardinals can become with a good offseason. Because I think if you ha- if the Brewers had the lineup that the Cardinals have, we're talking about the Brewers being a team that could go on a run. Um, the Cardinals can't get to that level of pitching this offseason. Burns, Woodruff are two number ones. They can't get to that because there's not two number ones available unless they just went all out for Yamamoto and Snell. Or Gossman. Like if, if, one of the, if one of these teams surprise us and make a move that we're not currently anticipating, that's how you could do it is you go out there and you trade for the number one. I don't think you're signing a number one and then also getting a number two that is up to the level of uh, Brewers, Phillies, one of those types of teams. I, I don't think that's realistic for the Cardinals. You can trade for one, though. If you traded for one of those guys that's at the front end of your rotation and then you added Sonny Gray as your number two, that's how I think you end up in a situation, honestly, like the Twins. The, the Twins are the other team rotation-wise that you could try to emulate going into next year. They had a really good rotation this year, and it was with names that people don't really think of as being number ones. I tried to get Pablo Lopez. People don't think of Pablo Lopez as a number one starter. They don't think of Sonny Gray as a number two starter necessarily. But guess what? They were. All year long, they pitched like they were. And going into the postseason, guess what they did? They shut down the lineup that everybody was impressed by going into the postseason. So um, I'll be curious to see what that, that rotation looks like against Houston. I think that'll be instructive as well. And the next start, Sunny Gray right. start, definitely going to be something worth watching and here. Aaron Nola against the Braves. <laughs> You're about to find that out. That's huge. That dating that we talked about yesterday is about to take the next step, this next series, to find out if you're intrigued or not. We're moving in together? No. You know what? We're meeting the parents. Oh, oh damn. my gosh. Yeah. This quick? This yeah. quick. Woo. We're meeting the parents. And you know what? I feel like that's a little early. I'm a mom guy, so moms typically like me. Interesting. I would not get that vibe. No, moms love me, man. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're talking to John Denton, Cardinals insider for MLB.com. I want to get his thoughts on the conversation that we've been having about the NL Central struggles in the postseason. And who was he more impressed by yesterday? Nola or our guy, Sonny Gray? Coming up next, though, it's time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, did you hear what the morning after did earlier today? Uh, I did not. So the teacher that's in the headlines here in St. Louis. Oh, okay. For, for some reason I was the thinking scandal of. scandal that's yeah. taken place. Yeah, 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 she's yeah, yeah. on OnlyFans. She ended up getting fired from her teaching job as a result, but she's making 10 grand a month from doing the OnlyFans. So she doesn't seem super upset about the fact she got fired from her teaching job. She, she was on TMA. I have not yet listened to the podcast, but apparently they had her on for like 45 minutes and like an all all exclusive interview of everything that's taken place here. Makes sense. OnlyFans account all exclusive. Yeah. A- Alex, I got to be honest with you here. I totally understand where she's coming from. <laughs> you and me both. I don't blame her at all. Now, listen, there was a Twitter account that she was running that had some stuff that was posted where it was like, hey, let's put this behind a paywall. Maybe I'll put it on Twitter as Makes a public facing person. Uh, that's that's not ideal. I also understand why she was fired as a result of that. It was probably something that the uh, the school district had to do. That being said, if I was in her spot and I had the opportunity to make ten grand a month as somebody that was doing the stuff off of or away from the school, when I'm making you know forty grand as a teacher, I can see how that would be appealing to somebody. Uh, look, I. The, there's two different angles to this one and the one angle of, you know, an OnlyFans account of a teacher with students. Yeah, can understand the concern on that aspect of it. But the other angle to this is maybe the teacher should be paid a little bit more money so that they don't have to pursue the OnlyFans account. That's my thought when I initially saw it was that she's got an OnlyFans account because obviously you have to make ends meet. Obviously, you're making $10,000 a month makes life a little bit easier for you instead of the salary that you're making as a teacher. Uh, and I don't think she should be thrown under the bus for that one, especially when she said in the piece that was the written, the written piece on STL today, like I believe the quote was, I love my kids. So this is a tough decision. You've got a teacher who loves to teach kids, but yet she can't be employed because she does something personal behind a paywall that you have to pay to go see. There's a lot more issues there that just the teacher that was doing an OnlyFans account shouldn't be employed. If she was just, like, doing the feet thing, people were into feet, and she was showing her feet on camera, would she be fired? Out of curiosity. And listen, this is not me suggesting she should have kept her job, shouldn't have resigned slash been fired, however you want to look at that. Um, But if it was just a foot fetish thing, do you think she'd still have her job today? No. I'm asking in all sincerity. No, because I, I I think the reason of the firing was they hear OnlyFans. Got an OnlyFans account. Oh, you can't have an OnlyFans account. You're a teacher. Even if it is a, a foot thing. T-Bone, do you think she would have been asked to resign if she was yeah. doing the foot fetish? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Should she I, have? I think no. If it's a foot fetish thing? I mean, I I would probably say yes because I don't think it would be a good look for the school. And I think that's the whole reason but what's behind, the look? But I'm not going to. You gonna... have to pay to go see it on OnlyFans. Yeah, but I mean. Yeah, it's, it's just feet. Yeah, it's I, just feet. Is that a billboard somewhere? It's just feet. Let me ask another one. What if she's a stripper on the weekends? Yeah, That's I mean, another like, job. Another bad look for a school. So, But it's another job. It's more about the what look than it is just the jobs. 
it's another job and you've got them again all of these are because that they're not making enough money doing their actual job yeah uh, we've had a number of people that say guys she didn't get fired she resigned okay however you want to look at it like come on we know how this stuff works um my assumption would be she was asked to resign and if she was not going to do that she would be asked to no longer participate in her job as a teacher at the school in which she previously was employed. This is so, just that that this is it. just that ethical conversation because somebody texted in and said, "Alex, you're a dad of two girls. She's with your kids all day. Wouldn't you be outraged?" Listen, she like this was like legit stuff okay. that was going on. Understandable. On the, like she, it was definitely in the right, in my opinion. <laughs> I go into these things typically trying to take the contrarian view. Not on this one. Yeah. <laughs> like it was it was the right decision by everybody involved to say, ah, let's go ahead and go our separate ways. Right. The foot fetish thing, I, I do find that one to be an interesting dilemma. But what's weird about I don't know what you'd do there. But what's I weird think ab- you should keep your job. What's weird about it is like I don't even know if I would find out that she would have an OnlyFans account that unless somebody thing. told me, oh, your teacher of your, your daughter's is an OnlyFans account. I'd love to know who the person was that sent uh-huh. in the information to the school district. Hey, you got a teacher that's on OnlyFans. Oh, yeah, really? Do we? <laughs> oh. Do we, mister? <laughs> Do we? Where'd you find that one out? Alongside Alex and T- uh, T-Bone on BK, coming up in 15 minutes, it's T-Bone's favorite time of the week. Oh. We'll play a game of Believe It or Not. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, John Denton joins us to talk about the NL Central struggles in the postseason in recent years. And who was he more impressed by, Aaron Nola or Sonny Gray with their performance last night? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. Happy to be joined by John Denton, the Cardinals insider for MLB.com, joining us via the 101 ESPN hotline. Uh, John, let's start with the obvious. Last night, you saw two potential Cardinals targets for this offseason, both of whom had really good outings. Sonny Gray, five innings, zero earned runs, had six strikeouts in those five innings. And Aaron Nola goes seven, gives up no earned runs, but it was just the three strikeouts, but seven scoreless. I mean, nobody's going to argue with that. Who were you more impressed by last night, John, Nola or Sonny Gray? Uh, you, you know, BK, uh, uh, Sonny Gray has really good stuff. I mean, his, it's weird to see him later in his career. His stuff seems like it's getting better. Uh, but for my money, I, I like Nola. I like a guy who goes deeper in the game. Uh, what was it, 88 pitches for seven innings. Uh, he only had three three strikeouts, but he only allowed three hits. Uh Aaron Nola is a big game pitcher. You know, the Cardinals saw it last year in St. Louis, and the Marlins got to see it last night. Uh, Nola's the guy. You know, he's he's a little younger. Uh, I just like the way he steps up in big games. Uh, I I would side with Nola in that. Is that concerning, though, John, if the Cardinals do go down that path where they say Nola's our top dog, let's go throw the money at him to bring him in as our number one, to where you're not bringing in the swing and miss stuff that Ali Marmala spoke of? Yeah, you know, uh, definitely swing and miss is more valuable now. Now that you, you know, you can't shift completely. Uh, you know, it's it's put more of an emphasis on swing and miss. Yes, I agree. Uh, but I, I like the fact that that Nola's two years younger. Um, you know, I, I just think he's a big game pitcher. I mean, he's he's a guy who set all kind of records when he was in college at LSU. He's been a big game pitcher his whole life. I just like the way that guy. You know, he always steps up. You can count on him. You know, maybe he's not blowing the other side away, but you know what? He's not giving up a ton of runs either. I, uh, 
the Marlins had actually knocked him around pretty good this season. Uh, but but to do what he did again last night in a big game was impressive, and I I think the guy's an absolute stud. John, I think as you look around Major League Baseball right now, there's a lot of teams that are going into the offseason with uncertain futures and a lot of teams that feel some urgency to make decisions where they're trading pitching for hitting. And the Cardinals, as we know, have a lot of hitting to offer other teams. Like you look at the Padres. I don't know what their plans are going into the offseason, but I would assume they're going to try to kind of reshape that roster. I would assume that the Marlins are going to be looking for some kind of offense. The Mariners, it's the same thing. And it sure seems like the Blue Jays, according to some of the reports that are coming out, will be in that situation as well, where they're trying to kind of remake their roster. Do you think the Cardinals are well positioned to make a hitter for pitcher trade this offseason, John? I think they are. I think they've got a you know they've got a deep collection of players uh, and the trades that they made at the deadline that made their their farm system even deeper. So you know you can throw in extra pieces there. Uh, you know, they, they have a Tommy Edmund who can play multiple positions. They have a Brendan Donovan, even a Thomas Jacy down in the minor leagues, guys who can play three or four positions. Uh, those, those are going to be, uh, you know, those those are going to be pieces that, that other teams want. Uh, they, you know, they have outfield talent. They have they have hitters to trade from. That Definitely, you know, the lineup is their strength. Pitching is their weakness. That's, you know, no breaking news there. But, you know, they're going to try to take some of their bats including the ones that they added at the trade deadline in the minor leagues and, and use them to acquire pitching. Uh, it, uh, you know, these teams with excess in pitching, sometimes I wonder, why would you ever trade pitching? Like, everybody in baseball needs pitching. Why would you ever trade it? Why would you ever even, you know, take less than money than, than market value because everybody out there needs pitching? If they go down that path, John, uh... Are they able to accomplish fixing the pitching of trading from their offense and still keeping a very impactful offense? Uh, you know, I asked Ali Marmol that exact question, and he said he thinks they will be wise in, in how they trade. But, you know, we all know that the Cardinals are going to call and offer X, but the other team's going to be like, don't call back until you're willing to trade Nolan Gorman. Yep. Don't call back until you're willing to trade Mason Wynn or – Jordan Walker, you know, it's, it's going to be a short conversation and Cardinal fans need to realize now it's, this is going to be a painful off season, whether it costs them a ton of money in free agency or a ton of value in, in players, this is going to be a painful, costly off season. Uh, you know, teams are going to say, don't call us back until you're well, willing to put Nolan Arenado or Nolan Gorman in a trade. And, and, you know, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle and have to go back and forth on whether to do that or not. Uh, John, I did want to follow up on that. Is it your understanding that the Cardinals are planning to enter 2024 with both Goldie and Arenado on their roster? I think so. I think so. You know, I, you know, it, things can change. Uh, you know, it, you know how how determined are you to add pitching? You know, it's. I, I've always said the moment you get rid of Paul Goldschmidt, you're trying to add the next Paul Goldschmidt. Like he's about everything that you're looking for in a player, uh, in a leader, in a, in a guy in the clubhouse. Um, I, I think they'll they'll uh, entertain a uh, talks with with Goldie about an extension. Uh, you know, once they get all their fancy stuff taken care of, once they add their pitching, I think they'll look to lock up Goldie another two or three years. Arenado's a little more up in the air. You know, he's he's signed long term, but if if this off season doesn't go well, you know, I, I kind of wonder deep down if if Nolan could start looking around a little bit because he's a guy who hears the clock. You know, he's on the wrong side of thirty. He wants to win. You know, th- this 
this way the second half of the season went was, did not sit well with Nolan Arenado. Like he wants to win and he wants to win now. So if this all season goes badly, you know, you wonder if Nolan could start looking around and wondering what what else is out there. John, you mentioned the offseason being painful for fans and really the organization, either spending a lot of money or trading or trading away assets. Which one do you think would be more painful for the Cardinals if they spent a lot of money on that top free agent pitcher or if they did decide to trade to move on from some of this talent? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this this franchise does not like paying pitchers on the other side of 30. Uh, it's it's something that, you know, they, they've stuck to for a long time. They don't like giving out long-term deals, but they're going to have to do that. Like, if you're going to get one of these guys, you're going to have to overpay for him. You're going to have to maybe throw in a – a fourth year that the Cardinals don't like to do. Uh, you know, I, I think they would prefer to do that, but the budget is what the budget is. And, you know, if, if you can't get one of these guys, if you can't overspend one of these guys, you're going to have to go get some in the trade. And, you know, the last thing they want to do is, is trade away Nolan Gorman and he goes and hits 50 home runs somewhere. But, you know, it, it may get to the point where that's the only way you can get pitching. John Denton is our guest here on 101 ESPN for just another couple of minutes. You can find his work at Cardinals.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at John Denton 555. John, we were listening to Brad Thompson on with the fast lane. I think this was last week, if I'm not mistaken, and he was talking about the future of Wilson Contreras here in St. Louis. And he said, listen, this is not based on like reporting or anything, but just based on the comments that we've heard publicly even towards the middle of the season that he wonders if the Cardinals will have another conversation with Contreras about either moving to the outfield slash DH or what, what that situation is going to be with him in the off season. John, you're around this team every day. You talk to Ollie on a regular basis. What do you expect the plan to be with Wilson Contreras going into the off season? You know, uh, BK, I don't think they're, they're ready to do that yet. I don't think they're ready to give up on him as a catcher yet. Uh, you can tell that they've had a lot of conversations with him already uh, you know, no, uh, Wilson has talked about he wants to hire a, a performance coach. He wants to hire a, a, a mental strength coach to work with him, you know, to get the most out of his abilities. He's talked about, he, he said the other day, he said, well, if we get new pitchers, I expect them to be in Jupiter early because I'm going to be there. Like you can tell that the Cardinals have impressed upon him that he needs to work at his craft, that they need him to get better defensively. And I just don't think they're ready to give up on him as a catcher yet, you know, they, they signed him for that. Uh, they know he's about all the right things. I mean, this guy cares more than anybody in the clubhouse. He wants to win every day. Uh, they, they just got to get him, you know, preparing a little better, you know, working on his defense a little more. And I, I just don't think they're to that point where they're ready to give up on him one year into a five-year deal. John, final question that I've got for you, and you can take this in any direction that you'd like. <laughs> Do you do you think that the Cardinals have the sense of urgency that will be required going into the offseason to make the moves that are necessary with the pitching? Because we know what the moves need to be. Do you get the sense that they understand what that's going to take of them? I think this year was pretty jarring, uh, BK. I think there, there's a lot of embarrassment over there. I think there's a lot of, hey, this happened on my watch. Uh, I, I know Mo is very frustrated that it got to this point. I know Ali Marmol is very driven to, to get this thing turned around. You hope that after sitting and watching 162 games of that, that that, that ownership realizes that the model needs to change, that you're going to have to spend a little more money, you're going to have to overpay for some guys. Uh, you hope that the pain from this offseason sets in. And, you know, from everybody I've heard with the organization, 
They're highly motivated. They know what has to be. They know what has to be fixed. They know what they have to change. But now you gotta you gotta have the resources to do it. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of embarrassment over there that they let this thing, you know, fall off a cliff. Fifteen years in a row of winning records. I mean, worst record in 33 years. Last place finished for the first time in 33 years. There's a lot of embarrassment and, and upset feelings over there. They just need the resources to go do what needs to be done. That comes down to ownership. John, we'll see what they decide to do with that. We'll certainly be paying attention to all of your great work over at Cardinals.com, and we'll be uh, paying attention for whenever it is that the Cardinals decide to have their postseason press conference, which uh, <laughs> maybe happen a month from now. Appreciate the time as always, man. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Thanks, That's John Denton joining us uh, here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time, as always. I I think this really is going to come down to ownership, Alex. (laughs) I I think there have been years in the past where it was fair to be critical of John Mosellock for looking for why not to make a move as opposed to looking for why he should be making a move, right? He talks himself out of moves as much as he talks himself into them. Based on all of the things that we have heard, whether it's publicly or privately, from people that are either with the team or around the team regularly, I think Mo understands what needs to be done. I sure get the sense, and I would imagine you guys do too, that Ollie Marmel certainly understands what needs to be done to this team, and he would like to see it get done. The players all seem to have the same sense of urgency about what needs to be done this offseason. They're all projecting forward in the right way. Comes down to whether or not the ownership group is willing to give them that money to be able to do the things that need to be done. Well, and I just looked this one up because I was curious kind of where that payroll lies for the Cardinals, at least this season. And it's league like average. 12th? Yeah, 17th, actually, at least on spot oh. rack where they're at. But this is this plays into my thought process here. Which team do you want to be? Which ownership group do you want to be? You want to be the Texas Rangers that say, let's go in. Or you want to be the Mariners that say eh, 54% of the season, if we get there, we're going to get into the playoffs and anything can happen. I think a lot of fans would lean towards, well, the Cardinals have been that 54%. So they've, I mean, you're right there with the Mariners in terms of payroll, and you're not going to go more than that. But it might be time to be the Texas Rangers or the Phillies and say, bleep it, let's go. According to USA Today, the Cardinals entered the season. I, I like using the preseason um, metrics in terms of the payroll just because it shows you what they were willing to do going into a year. Um, they came into the season with $175 million committed to their payroll. That was 15th in Major League Baseball. The Texas Rangers were ninth at $195 million. That's roughly where the Cardinals need to be. And they they need to be ownership. in that like 190 to 195 range. And it's something they've never been willing to do. They, they've kind of stagnated around this like 10th to 15th. They've been somewhere in that range in terms of the payroll, and they've been declining slightly over the past three to four years in terms of where they rank in Major League Baseball. Not based on their own numbers, but around them, everybody else is spending more by a wider margin than the Cardinals. Cardinals are going up by a little bit every year. Other teams are going up by a decent amount every year. So what ends up happening is you get passed, much like the Cardinals pitching development. It took a while, but eventually other teams got a lot better than the Cardinals. That's what they're doing with the payroll side of things, too. they got to be willing to go ahead and bite the bullet. It's time, man. It's time. And it's not a, the other thing that I always get frustrated by. I have been in the past, at least, is people talk about payroll, payroll, payroll. It's not all about the money. you got to make the right bets, too. So it's about having that money to use from the ownership group. And then Mo and his front office going out there and placing the correct bets on players that can help them. So whether that means going out there and trading for a front-end starter or paying that front-end starter, I honestly don't even care at this point. They just got to get it right. 
And that's the job of the front office going into this offseason. For Alex and T-Bone on BK, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys can watch us over on YouTube. 101 ESPN STL is the place to go. The YouTube studio cams are brought to you by Air Alliance Team, believe it or not. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Guys, I got to be honest with this. is going to sound bad. Dude, the sun came out just in time for this. It's fantastic. I need to cut my grass tomorrow. All right, let's do this, boys. <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. If you've got a scenario, you throw it in on the Air Comfort Service text line. And we will tell you if we are believing it or not. Guys, believe it or not, Sonny Gray gets more on a per-year basis this offseason than Aaron Nola does. Oh, I'm not going to believe that one. Because I think somebody's going to overpay for Aaron Nola than what they should. And I think Sonny Gray is going to be right around where you would expect him to be. Like, I can see some team losing out on Snell, losing out on Yamamoto and saying bleep it we just got to go get him let's throw everything we've got at Aaron Nola because of name recognition I've fallen victim to it to say Aaron Nola's awesome in the postseason I didn't realize the dude got shellacked last year so or what 2000 yeah no last year so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna say not believe this one I'm not gonna believe it either because Gray is older so I think he's gonna get right around what we're expecting I tend to agree I could see somebody jumping the market and it screams Cardinals doing that but I think Nola is going to be a guy that we see that contract come out and we go, well, someone really valued the innings. And my fear is it's going to be the Cardinals that do it. For what it's worth, um, based on SpotRack's current value of the two, they have Aaron Nola at $24.5 million. They have uh, Sonny Gray at $20.5 million. So they see Sonny Gray as $4 million less per year uh, than Aaron Nola. I could see something like this, though. Kind of similar. It's different, obviously, because these guys that I'm about to mention are future Hall of Famers. Sonny Gray certainly is not that. But the way that Justin Verlander and Max future Scherzer Cardinal last year, shorter term, more in terms of the, the overall salary, I could see a team saying, hey, Sonny, come sign with us on a two-year deal worth 27 mil a year. I could see something like that happening instead of having to give that third year. So instead of getting him at age 34, 35, and 36, you just get 34 and 35, and you get out of it quicker. In but fact, if, I could see the Cardinals doing something like but that. But if you're him, do you want that? Because if I'm Sonny Gray... I, sure, I've got the opportunity to hit the market again in that third year. Yeah, and if, but, you, if you're betting on yourself, you could go out there in that third year that you otherwise would have got, you know, 20 million bucks. You could end up making 30 mil in I feel that like third if year. I'm at that age, though, and I'm in that position, I'd want to get like a confirmed third year instead of in case an injury pops up. Because in the back of my mind, I know father time never fails. Yeah. Sure. If I'm a if I'm a position player, I'm a guy that would more likely do a short term deal yeah. with more money. I'm a pitcher where we see pitching breaks and when it breaks it breaks pretty fast i would be very hesitant to do that if i'm a pitcher i'm gonna say i'm not believing this but i think it's more likely than a lot of people are anticipating currently alex all right boys believe it or not after uh, the great greg wasinski got everybody riled up 
Jordan Bennington finishes the year top 10 in save percentage. Not, not believe it, no. So he finished this year among goaltenders that played 45 or more games because, the, you know, one guy plays two games and then he's top three. Sure. He was 19th at 894, and top 10 was a 911 save percentage. I'm not going to I I can't see where he gets there, and I'm not even sure it's necessarily all Bennington's fault. Um, this defense is, I don't see it taking a step forward. And if it doesn't take a step forward, his save percentage is not going to take that big of a leap to get up to what that 911 mark. 911 was 10th overall. The last time that Jordan Bennington did that was in the 2020 season. That was the year he was the all-star. Yeah, That was the year after they won the cup. Correct. I'm not going to believe this. What if I change it to top 15? Because it was 901 for Sergei Bobrowski. He'll be an average. A couple of years ago. Yeah, I can see something goal. like I that. I mean, Sergei Bobrowski. That, I mean, everybody honestly, loved the way he played. He needs to be. And that's what I think changes the tune of Jordan Bennington. So if I said top half of the league in terms of starting goaltenders, that would sway your opinion a little bit more. See, I, Absolutely. I, I think if we settle on... I say settle. That sounds cruel. But well, I, I, cruel. Think if you're, I think if you're saying he's got to be top 15... You really need Hofer to be good behind him, but because see, I, I think if he's top ten, like but ho- whatever agree. Hofer does, does really matter because it means they're probably going to lean heavy on Bennington. But see, I don't agree with if that. He's though. ten to fifteen. They need Hofer to be the guy that's going to be there behind him. But Florida didn't need the backup goaltender that season. Bobrowski played fifty-five games for him, and he was the fifteenth top goaltender. And I look at what he did. Jordan Bennington is just—he's a guy that should be playing about fifty games. I don't think you should be oh, expecting I agree him with to that. play more than that. And that's not a shot against Jordan Bennington. It's just the reality. He's a guy that I, I want him stepping up in the biggest possible moment. Here are the guys that played north of 60 games the last season. Sorokin with the Islanders, Hellebuck with the Jets, Ottinger with the Stars, Georgia for the Avalanche, which I don't understand that, Soros with the Nashville Predators, and Vasilevsky. Bennington's not in that tier of goaltenders. He's in the next tier. Well, that's what I'm saying. He shouldn't, to your point. He's in that next tier down. He's in the the Stuart Skinner. He's in the Bavrowski, the Darcy Kempers, the Flurries, 50 to 55 games. That's the sweet spot, and that's where you can finish with a 900-plus save percentage. T-Bone? Believe it or not, the Arizona Diamondbacks are this year's team of destiny and get to the World Series. Not. No. Mm -hmm. God, no. No, sir. Whoa. Yeah, no. You think fat, you think fat is going to be able to get through the Braves if he gets there? That's his name, right? Yeah. yeah. They they don't have the pitching. That I I laugh at what Alex just said, but yeah, he's right. Like that's you're exactly just, why you're too horned up about their closer, and I understand it. The I, dude looks great. I haven't mentioned their closer once on this show. Oh, we were texting but about him last night, or was that a different team? That was the Twins. Um, oh, okay. But, See, I don't pay. He's every, he has every right to be yeah. excited about their closer. I could have sworn it was the Diamondbacks, um, dude. I remember when the Cardinals played the Twins. It was Jim Edmonds that was on that broadcast, and he was watching it. And I'm just going to say it. He clearly had never seen him before. Um, he said... I, I don't understand how anybody gets a hit off of this I guy. agree with him. <laughs> He's right. I don't either. It doesn't make filthy. sense. Uh, I actually might believe this. They've got a great one-two punch in that rotation. I mean, like, look at the Phillies that made that run last year. It was Nola and uh, Wheeler. Who was their three? Anybody remember? Because I don't. Oh, was Exactly. Um, was the Diamondbacks was are in. Walker the- with them at that no, point? No. He was a free agent signing. For who? The Phillies? Eflin was there. He was in the bullpen. It was Ranger Suarez. Yeah. Because Syndergaard was in the bullpen, too. um, Like, the D-backs can be that team. Kelly, Gallon. I know Gallon had a rough first inning. He was awesome last night. Their offense has got some punch to it, and they just cause havoc on the base paths. That's their their path. They ran into running themselves into an out in game one or two in that series. 
but they can cause havoc defensively. They're fine in their bats. If Carroll, Walker, Cattell Marte continue to play like this, this. I'm, p- I'm picking them over the Dodgers. Yeah. No matter who p- who won. Well, I wasn't going to pick the Brewers, let's be honest. But I, I like the Diamondbacks over the Dodgers. And if they get to the CS, I think they have a shot to beat the Braves. I think they could oh, do it if they're the dealing Phillies, with injuries. Huh? Yeah, I don't think the Phillies are beating the Braves. Really? I don't I don't think so. I, I think don't they either. lose to them in four. Um I think the Diamondbacks could be the team that we're talking about that gets <laughs> to the World Series, especially if that offense remains hot. The bullpen's been good. It'd be fun. And their top two in that rotation is just really good. They remind me of the Phillies a little bit of last year, where they've got a solid one, two, three punch in that offense. They've got two dogs at the front of the rotation, and the bullpen is solid. You know, it'd be really fun, and it would be like a terribly rated World Series, but Arizona versus Baltimore would be fun to watch. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> two very young teams that have just like guys that should be considered superstar talents, but aren't because they play for the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Baltimore Orioles. But if they played for like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the Mets, they would be considered household names. Those two teams have built it in a way that is really fun. Imagine being Rob Manfred and being like, our World Series is who? Baltimore versus Arizona. I mean, a, he had to say that about the playoffs. A team that's led by an owner that says, better enjoy it now. Good. I mean, his playoffs were without both New York teams. No San Diego, who spent a ton of money. St. Louis. No Boston. No St. Louis. Uh, no Angels, who have Shohei Otani. But it's still the beginning of the playoffs. Imagine the World Series, Baltimore no versus Arizona. Yeah, no Cubs. No, no big Padres. Mar- like, no Giants. Th- two of their three biggest markets are not in the playoffs. <laughs> It's not ideal for our boy Rob. Well, imagine it getting worse by saying World Series Baltimore versus Arizona. That's their worst nightmare that remains. Um, yeah. Maybe Minnesota. I'd say Minnesota would be up Tampa there. versus Milwaukee might have been the worst nightmare. Yeah, but of the teams that are yeah. still available. Baltimore versus them. Arizona. Yeah, Baltimore or Minnesota. I would say Minnesota's probably their worst nightmare. Minnesota's got like a diehard though to where like oh, they would and be so does baltimore like baltimore and arizona both have good fan bases but are they gonna still do the bird bath if they're in like november and it's like snowing in baltimore so. bird bath oh my god it's 30 quit by the way your boy could tell Marte. yeah stud i should have traded for him when you had the chance stud also tommy fam stud the guy just everywhere he goes rakes and he's been stabbed twice it's like <laughs> 50 cent about that all right 314-399-9646 is you know, the air cover service text line for <laughs> believe it or not guys believe it or not the cardinals get the necessary pitching this offseason very simple can we define yeah i was um, gonna say what's necessary <laughs> The Cardinals' definition of necessary like, or my building, definition? Are they building for their 90 wins or are they building to be a top they going? Why are you getting angry? Stick that in your mouth. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm gonna Careful, say, man. People don't know the reference. That's fine. <laughs> it's if you don't, go check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I'm believing this one. I, I think what John Denton said is right. They're desperate and they're embarrassed and... The wallet is open for business. That's the text he sent to Mo, and Mo put a scuba gear on. I'll I'll believe it because I think they will view it as what is necessary to get them back to the playoffs. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're adding what's necessary to get a exactly. I'm not saying they're going to sit here and do what's necessary to get themselves a buy. I I think they're going to be a playoff team. I've though. convinced myself they're trading for Kevin Gossman. Like there's zero chance he's available. Like man, that took a one percent chance that he's available. This <laughs> that took a season. day for you to convince yourself. God, that. how cool would that be though? See, that's he's how so you good. convince yourself. Sure. How so cool good. would it be if Otani said, "I love the Midwest." BK, BK convinces himself by going. 
PK goes, I mean, how cool would it be if he's going to be here? That's it. He's a part of the Cardinals next no, season. No, there are dots that are connected. So first. <laughs> Honey, take care of Luca. I got a worksheet to do. First. The Toronto Blue Jays are out of the playoffs. That? <laughs> Second. What the hell? Here's Papa Balloon. <laughs> That's a balloon pop to <laughs> Dave Schoenfeld writes. The Blue Jays need to trade one Are of their pitchers for, yeah, for, uh, for, for a hitter. Dart sound like Third, the Toronto Blue Jays need to take some of that money off of their books. Fourth, the Cardinals need to add a starter on string in this God, You stuff. suck to play darts Fifth, with. The Cardinals add Kevin Gossman. Honey, just watch him for a minute. I got an Excel sheet open. The, the funny thing is, is like I can follow all those clicks that he's doing over there until it goes gospel and i'm like the guy that they're probably gonna move is a 10 million dollar pitcher in kikuchi until the until he realizes that the dartboard he's throwing at is like a, a rubber made container it's just oh that's not gonna happen <sighs> sounds like your golf game Four. oh no no that's way worse <laughs> far worse yeah, you don't a, hear the part of it yeah, I just swing and miss it's a time. tree that he's swinging it's the more. club at So, uh, you guys excited for them to sign Michael Waka and Ross Stripling and Louis, Lucas Giolito this offseason? Man, that's going to be great. Oh. Just yeah, sign somebody named Jose. So, just sign somebody named Jose so the title of it can say, No way, Jose. Coming up next, are we going to see the same defensive pairings as last year? I thought we were going to try to do something a little different this time around. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, earlier today, Jeremy Rutherford tweeted out the line combinations for the Blues. He also tweeted out the defensive pairing combinations for the Blues. He's got Letty with Pareko, Krug with Falk, and Scandella with Tucker. And I'm talking about for 2023, not for 2022. This feels eerily similar to the groupings that we saw last year. Alex, why should I believe it's going to be different? It's the same players in the same roles with the same partners as because it was last BK, year. Because BK, it can't get worse than last year. That's true. That's yeah. that's the that's the optimism you have, right? Sure. We're talking about the Cardinals being embarrassed by their team. They can't have the same offseason while the Blues are embarrassed by how the defensemen played, so they can't have the worst season. So in all seriousness, one of the things that I was intrigued by was the Blues putting like Perunovic and Krug up with Colton Pareko. And what I thought that meant is they were trying to switch up the way that they played these guys. Because last year, they they more or less platooned them. They would put the Pareko pairing out on the ice in defensive zone starts. They would put the Falk pairing out there on the ice in offensive zone starts. And that's the way that they would utilize them for most of the season. Well, that is what you do when you have Letty or Scandella or Tucker, one of those stay-at-home defensemen up there with Pareko. If you were going to change it, and you are going to put Perunovic or Krug up there with Pareko, now you can kind of utilize them at any any given start. How do you feel about them reverting back to what they had a year ago? I, I don't think you could play Krug with Pareko. I, I think they tried that, and it wasn't what they wanted, mostly because of what Wyshynski told us in terms of when Krug's at his best, and they want him in the offensive zone, and Pareko is the shutdown pair. I, I know people aren't going to like to hear it, but the reason that they're doing this is because the best shutdown defenseman that they have is Nick Letty with Pareko. I, I, Marco Scandella was it, but I think they're worried... Uh, 
injury concerns and keeping them healthy. It would not surprise me, though, if they go the platoon route like we've seen in the past, where late in a game when they need to shut down, Scandella jumps up there with Colton Pareko. The reason I liked the idea of Scott Perunovic playing with Pareko was because he does move the puck well out of the zone, and he's not, it's not that Tory Krug's bad at shutting down the defenseman because he's been doing it or shutting down the offense because he's done it before, but you can utilize Perunovic in terms of his quickness and his ability to strip the puck. And I I'm assuming they're hoping Nick Letty can get back to that. I know I joke, but in all reality, that's where the blues mindset is. Doug Armstrong even said it like Nick Letty was not great last year. Nick Letty is not this bad of a defenseman. So he will improve just like Colton Pareko will improve. The other reason why there should be at least optimism, or at least I'm hoping that there's optimism, is because it's not all on the defenseman. Just as much as we're going to sit here and complain about the defense being bad, the forwards were just as reliable with that. And if you don't clean up in your own zone, which Joey mentioned it, they're playing kind of a, a box mentality in their defensive zone. The forwards improve that route so that the defensemen look a little bit better. So the other notable lineup decision that's happening tonight, uh, they have decided to scratch Torpchenko. And Barubi said, uh, quote, it's a big get, or excuse me, Barubi said of Torpchenko, it's a lower body issue. He's hurting, so he's not going to go tonight against Dallas, but it's just precautionary. He's not worried about it. Quote, it just kind of came up just out of the blue. He should end up being fine. So it doesn't sound like anything serious for Torpchenko, just something that they're going to do for management. What they decided to do, Alex, I think this is notable. They are using Alexandrov in the spot of Alexei Torpchenko. Now, everything else about this lineup screams opening night. This is what the opening night lineup is going to be. And our question was, okay, then who does that mean is going to be your 13th forward? We pretty much feel like we know what the defensemen are. Callie Rosen probably on the outside looking in. The 13th forward spilt up for grabs. Alexandrov taking this place for Torpchenko I think tells you he's the favorite. And here's what Craig Berube said a little bit ago. This is according to Jeremy Rutherford. Quote, it's a big game for him to go out and play with some intensity and really skate and work and be noticeable. I think that's important for him. I think he's got to come in with a little bit more intensity and urgency in his game. Alex, this needs to be the best game Alexandrov has ever played in his entire life. Yep. Because it is a tryout for him to be able to make this roster. I don't think this is... And I would imagine people read it as, oh, well, Alexandrov made the team. Because that's what I originally thought. I think this is more Walker's about to make the team and your last shot is to outplay Nathan Walker. We know what Walker is. Now you go show us what you Walker are. can win. He was 56% with like over a hundred faceoffs last season. He can play center. He's a natural winger. Curb said it yesterday. He does play that feistiness where he'll push guys around if he has to being like five foot nine. Alexandrov, if you want to make this team outplay Nathan Walker against the Dallas stars that are starting three of their top four defensemen and Jake Ottinger look like you can handle the pace with Sunquist and Jake neighbors play that physical brand, be dependable and you'll make this team out of it because I, he has the upper hand in terms of being the natural sentiment and a second round pick and a long-term plan for them as a potential fourth line center. But I don't think the blues, the I don't season. think the blues care about that. I think the blues want somebody who plays to the role of Craig Berube and Walker does that. Alexandrov's going to have to do it. And I'm still a believer on the other side. I think they're playing the, I think they're playing the asset management game this year. And I think that's what gets Alexandrov onto this roster. I, I'm with you, but I do I be- think Berube, if he had his choice, it would be he'd Walker. probably be saying it's Nathan Walker's mm-hmm. job. I think for, Doug Armstrong, who was viewing this more through the prism of what the what the Seattle Mariners GM Jerry Depoto said the other day, he's got the ten year plan. Baruby's got the one year plan, and that's how they should both be viewing their respective jobs. I think the ten year plan includes Alexandrov, really the three year plan. Um, 
And I, I don't think it includes well, Nathan Walker. Let's not act like everybody's getting claimed on waivers right now. Like there have been f- top 10 picks in the draft that have been put sure. through waivers and haven't been claimed. So uh, you can sneak guys through waivers. I don't think Alexandrov is going to be uh, the 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 outlier in this conversation. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you guys want to check out the YouTube page, it's youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Our studio cams are powered by Air Alliance Team. We are on all day here on the show. We are also available for you over there on YouTube after the show where you can rewatch the show in its entirety. Coming up next, we'll the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101. ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on PK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel Loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Base. The fast lane is coming up here in just a little bit. You can go hang out with them at the exchange at Scott Air Force Base. All the service members, families, and anyone currently on base, they're coming up from 2 to 6 for a special Military Appreciation Live broadcast that is all brought to you by Budweiser and Air Comfort Service Heating and Cooling. By the way, if you missed anything from today's show, what we had for you here on the show, you can check it out on the podcast page after the show today, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. This voice voice is going down. Well, you keep making me talk. (laughs) Let's finish the show by where we started today. And it is with the two guys that really had almost a a speed dating round for the Cardinals last night. Sonny Gray, five innings, zero earned runs. Did have the six strikeouts. Did have a little bit more traffic than you'd like. He had three walks and five hits in those five innings. And then Aaron Nola went out there and did exactly what you wanted to see, Alex. Seven innings, scoreless. Three strikeouts, though. You'd like to see that tick up a little bit. Only one walk, three hits allowed. Who impressed you more yesterday, Sonny Gray or Aaron Nola? Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray, because of the talent that he pitched against, I think that lineup is deeper and more offensively um, impressive than what Aaron Nola went up with against the Marlins. Uh, and, and I personally like the fact that you saw swing and miss stuff with Sonny Gray. That's the one thing that I know he's had, but I was curious what it looked like in the postseason. So he was the one that was most impressive to me. Yeah, I'm with Alex. I, I think he was more impressive. He was able to get out. Of, I know you don't like the traffic, but he's able to get out of it in a high yeah. intense environment in Minnesota looking for their first playoff win in some time. So First playoff win series, I should say, in some time. And he had the swing and miss. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Nola, but he was going up against a lesser lineup and the swing and miss just wasn't there. Seven innings is really impressive. But I think swing and miss is much more important than innings when it comes to the postseason. The innings are great when you're looking at a regular season pitcher. But when I'm looking for my dog in the postseason, I want that guy with swing and miss Where stuff. Dogs Did you guys just see the news? You're, sp- you're supposed happened? to save your voice. Yeah, that's not happening. You didn't see the news? Hmm. You haven't heard the word? The bird? Taylor Motter. Elected free agent. Elected for free agents. Really? Yeah. Man. Hit, hit the end of the road. Hit it. I don't have it right I'll now. miss him. I'll miss him. The guy in the locker room. The flow bros are no mo. Trace Barrera up to. Is he going to join him? Did you just miss what I said? The flow bros are no mo. 
All right, I'll give it to you. That no, was that was, no. That was I, great. I was more impressed by Sonny Gray as well yesterday. I do want to see what Aaron Nola looks like against the Braves. Yeah, that's, that's where, where my you evaluation. Really find out, okay, are the changes that he has made real? Because it's almost the opposite of what happened last year with Wayno, where Wayno was so good the entire season, and then the last month and a half of the season, boom, it all crumbled for him, right? And it felt like, oh, boy, is this the start of something that's going to be a problem for them in 2023? The answer was yes. With Aaron Nola, it's the opposite. He has seemingly found something within his mechanics over the last month of the season. If that carries over against one of the best offenses we've ever seen in the history of the sport against this Atlanta Braves lineup, then I'm starting to take notice. And then it will mostly alleviate any concerns that I had about Aaron Ola based on his disappointing season this year relative to his own standards. Right now, as Tanner likes to say, Aaron Nola, he's going to go to a nice Italian dinner, probably Olive Garden. Yeah. Oh. But if you pitch well against the Braves... You're getting that fancy Italian. We're willing to meet the parents then. Yeah. By the way. Meet the sh- parents. He's getting down on one knee. Speaking of, did you see the news? Shout out Roman Berkey. He is a nominee for the MLS MVP. Wow. Wow. Good and, for him. And Luke's now, awesome. Every he team, should win it. Every team gets to have a nominee, but <laughs> he is deserving to be probably top three, I would say. I think voting. he's deserving of being number one. Prove me I'm wrong. Alex T-Bone on BK. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Shut that in your mouth. You're on 101 ESPN Fastlane coming up next live from the Scott Air Force Base. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.